I am a little boy and I am a piggy. I am a man and I'm not that. I am a grandfather and I have learned about racial injustice in America so I refuse to be a piggy. My little piggy boy and I like to oink. 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 <laughs> Tried number four was great. <laughs> You can't handle the truth! Gets it. You won't bring back your goddamn honey! But I know it will! So I can keep that My mom always said, Hit it, boys. It's the good. The bad. And this week... Annie Hall. <laughs> we can probably hear the music. In a cartoon world. Nice fade out. Thank you. That's pretty good. It's pretty technical. It, it, it helps me in post, you know? Um, that's that's Paul Simon. That's Paul Simon. This that's is Simon. the good, the bad, the movies. Um, the end. Oh, fuck, Devin. The end of our love, lads. Oh, oh shit. What? 132. Okay. All right, we're good. I got it. Um, the end of it. And so we're watching our last... Oh. <laughs> Thank you. We're watching our last rom-com movie to try and convince Devin that rom-coms aren't that bad. That they're a viable genre. And so we watched the 1977 Academy Award winning film Annie Hall. Um, And the reason we played You Can Call Me Al by Paul Simon is because of his smallish role in the film. Yeah, it's it's a side bit, not a cameo more than that. He's like the fifth on the call sheet though, but yeah, but still... He, uh, he was the one who famously said that he broke up with his bitch because they ain't argue enough that they've been the same motherfucker since 2001 and he's at your house like, why you got your couch on my chucks? That right? is not a quote from him. I think that's Paul Simon. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> Paul Bridge over troubled water, sound of silence, Paul Simon yeah. said that? I think that's one of his newer pieces. <laughs> There's no way. Um, that music video, if you haven't seen the You Can Call Me Al music video, is probably my favorite of all time. Heavy casting on Chevy Chase, who does most of the song while Paul Simon just walks around. And sort of prepares musical instruments. Yeah. I, I have a great memory of it um, on my wedding day mm. in our... In our groomsman lounge, mm. we listened to it over and over again. That's the first time I'd ever seen the music video, so... And we were boogieing. We were boogieing, and uh, Devin did not make it as one of my groomsmen to my wedding. Okay, it was... <laughs> I have... I have... Yeah, well, I'll be honest, I have no excuse. It was... I will regret it for the rest of my life. And Marina and Devin had something huge planned for me. Yeah, I was gonna... For the first look, when you turned around, it would have been me in one of those inflatable T-Rex costumes <laughs> instead of Marina. I, I mean, I cried at the first look, but I might have cried more and if I'd like, seen a T-Rex. Me and Brandon would have actually gotten married instead of him and Marina. But Legally. instead we started a podcast. Yeah. Could you, enough, right? could you imagine if I turned around and right as I turned around, our DJ did... Dun, dun, 
You really would have cried. I would have bawled my eyes out. <laughs> and Lucas was dressed as a space shuttle. Yeah. And Carter was dressed as a Power Ranger. And Eric was dressed as a race car. And we all got married. It would have been great. And Seth was just dressed as himself. Which is weird enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we watched Annie Hall. You Did you pour water on him? Just a little bit. And he just didn't even do anything? Yeah. Louie is such a sub. Yeah. <laughs> um, he likes to be tied up. But we watched Annie Hall from 1977. Um, we're drinking today. You're drinking water, Lucas. Yep, I'm a hydro boy. Um, I am drinking from last week some of the Cranky Sam Tropical Blondes. I've started to like them more, so that's good. And we've already talked about that. Devin decided to bring he decided to bring his own twelve pack today instead of drinking what we had, and is six beers deep. This is that number seven. This is number seven. But who's counting? And he didn't start like right at the end of the movie or at the beginning of the podcast. He just started before we even started the movie. What can I say? Sometimes a man needs a drink. It's President's Day tomorrow. And we we love the presidents. That's true. We love all of them. Especially Mr. Trump. Yeah, that's, that's our favorite. All presidents matter. Yeah, we love Trump and Joe Biden like the same amount. Let's fuck the two-party system and, and let's just have a threesome with Joe Biden. And Wait, we should all we should all do a, a marry, fuck, kill real quick and we'll all come up with different presidents. Okay, Look, uh, oh, Devin's starting. Give uh, us three presidents. We'll both give our... Well, no, we each come up with one. Yes. Um, George Washington. I knew you were going to go for him. <laughs> He's the easy. Um, Taft. Um, wheelchair FDR. Oh, Taft was the one who had to get a new uh, bathtub in the White House because he didn't fit, right? Yes. yes. So he, Taft was stuck in a... He was also an esteemed Supreme Court Chief Justice. So we've got bathtub stuck <laughs> guy. We've got wheelchair polio no, FDR. He, he's the, the only president to have ever been Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and President of the United States. <laughs> and also George Washington had dentures. And we, had, we have wooden teeth, wheelchair bound, extremely overweight. Um... Devin? Okay, for me, marry George Washington because I feel like his morals were the most intact. Fuck Harry Taft because... William Taft. William. I was like, Harry Taft? That's not right. Fuck William Harry Taft is his long-lost brother. Fuck William Taft because the clout, you know? Okay. I clapped the cheeks that the bathtub could not. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, okay, so you've done your fair Mary fuck kill. Lucas? Um, Mary... FDR, because he's a socialist with money. Mm, mm, fuck George Washington, because he was one of the taller presidents. And everyone knows the taller you are, the hotter you are. That is true. And the just better overall person you are. <laughs> Brandon, you're a Nazi. Uh, I'm a terrible person. And kill William Taft, because I hate the Supreme Court. Damn. Um... I am going to marry FDR. I am going to fuck Taft. Mm. More cushion for the push. I was going to say that same thing. A good cuddler, you know? And I guess I'll kill Washington. You're going to kill the founder of the United States of America? Yeah. You're going to kill the guy who was the general who overthrew <clears throat> the British monarchy yeah you know what he also overthrew was all the native americans that were displaced Mm, he had slaves right you're right right. he's the he's the only one that didn't have slaves 
That's probably not true. Taft didn't have slaves either. Uh, I mean, he's the only one with slaves. Of these three? Yes. Yeah. So, I'm killing Slave Boy. You know what? You're right, and I respect that. Cool. George Washington canceled. Now, <laughs> yeah, we're going to cancel you 350 years later. Yeah. But only 50 years ago was Annie Hall. Which is crazy to think about. 50 years ago, this is our oldest film we've watched so far, just barely beating out the cat from outer space. Yeah. And so today, our director is the renowned Woody Allen, mm. who has done films such as Manhattan, Hannah and Her Sisters, Crimes and Misdemeanors, Husband and Wives, Bullet Over Broadway, Match Point, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, Midnight in Paris. Our writer today, also Woody Allen, He any movie that he directs, he's also written. Yeah. Plus, he's written more than what he's just directed. And he's acted in more than he's just directed. Yes. Well. And the other writer for this is called Marshall. His name is Marshall Brickman. He's done 110 episodes of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Hmm. A staple of late night television. Yes, the like the original late night person. Um, he did the the Muppet Show, Sex and Violence. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I don't know what that is, but I would watch <laughs> the Muppet Show, Sex and Violence. Um, he did Manhattan. He did Simon. He did Love Sick, The Manhattan Project, Manhattan Murder Mystery, and Jersey Boys. He seems to be pretty New York centric. Yeah, and Jersey Boys, Lucas, the one with Clint Eastwood. Yeah, that he directed. Beep! Yeah. Don't me and, cry. Me and my friend Chris saw that together. Big girls cry. They don't cry. Yeah, yeah. That's not Billy Joel. No, no that's not Billy Joel. That's Fergie. <laughs> Whoa! That's that's her singing the national anthem. It's just that the is. Jersey Boys. And then a cast today is starring Woody Allen. My guy. Yeah, he did them all. He did it all. Um, and then you've got Diane Keaton. Tony Roberts, Carol Kane, Paul Simon, you can call mm. me Al, there he is, um, Shelley Duvall, Christopher Walken, Janet Margolin, Colleen Dewhurst, Jeff Goldblum. Makes a one-line cameo, yeah. And Sigourney Weaver. Oh, I didn't see her. Yeah, I can't remember what she's, it's it's so small, it's smaller yeah. than Jeff Goldblum's. Yeah, because it's her debut film, I think. Yes, it is, it's like something with her in a cab. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that small, but. Oof. Devin, can you name us a Gorney Weaver film? Yeah, uh, Blade Runner. Burn. Idiot. He got you. Roasted. Alien. I was ready for him to say Alien. Alien 2. Aliens. Well, that's what Alien 2 is. Yeah, I was about to say, isn't that Alien? Alien Wait, 3. Was Gorney Re- Weaver really in Blade Runner? I think so. I think she was. <laughs> Are you fucking serious? Did you... Did you I just... don't even know who Sigourney Weaver is. She was in Avatar. She was a lady in Avatar. Yeah, I had no clue. She bends air. No, not that avatar. I not- think I just tapped into my, my fucking mental th- psyche. Maybe we just agreed. All right, now we got to go all the way back. What year was Blade Runner, 86-ish. Lucas? 86-ish. So after Annie Hall. No, she was not. Sorry, Devin. Wow. Dang, we just totally agreed. We totally agreed. It was, yeah, it was the, the confidence in it and everything. You're like, yeah, fucking Blade Runner, bitch. What about it? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me about Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> I invented Sigourney Weaver. Exactly, exactly. But she had the small... This is like her debut thing. And Jeff Goldblum with his one... I went nuts when I saw him. He forgot his mantra. Who is the uh, director guy? Woody Allen? Woody Allen. No, the other one. The guy... When they were in the movie theater and the guy was just fucking 
dunking on this director and then the director oh yeah i think that's probably a cat fact of yours or maybe not but his name is marshall McLuhan. marshall McLuhan. he's a film critic for the i think he was for the new yorker and like i was basically saying well we can get to it yeah i don't know if i have that in here it is marshall McLuhan though yeah i don't ha- i don't think i have it in my cat's facts but mm. oh well and so that's our cast a plot today if you haven't seen annie hall um Alvy Singer, a divorced Jewish comedian, reflects on his relationship with ex-lover Annie Hall, an aspiring nightclub singer, which ended abruptly just like his previous two marriages. Mm-hmm. That's harsh. Yeah. And that, just from that plot alone, is not your typical take on a rom-com. No, it's not. Normally your <laughs> rom-com is they have a meet-cute, they get together at the end, and all there's a big flash mob. <laughs> Of course, the flash mob, yes. Yeah, there's there's the meet cute, there's them getting to know each other, there is the falling out, and then them the, the chase. The mm-hmm. resolution. And there was this, but the resolution did not resolve in the stereotypical way. Yeah, the resolution was the becoming okay with the breakup. Mm-hmm. Which is beautiful in a way. Yeah, what a wonderful message. <clears throat> and now, a little history on Annie Hall. I have quite a bit. Lucas, you can give any history on Woody Allen if you okay, want, yeah. since you know so much about him. But <laughs> I, I, it makes it sound like I'm a Woody Allen like love. I mean, I like his movies, yeah, but I did. You've seen a, like all of them, yeah. I took a f- class on him as an undergrad in college called Directors in Focus Woody Allen, where I had a class with a guy who was on Seinfeld and who was on who dated Carrie Fisher. Yeah, who dated Carrie Fisher and Glenn Close. So I mean, that's what I'm saying is you will know more than me about Woody Allen at least, but. Annie Hall is a 1977 American satirical romantic comedy drama film. Principal photography for the film began on May 19, 1976, on the South Fork of Long Island and continued periodically for the next 10 months. Allen had described the result, which marked his first collaboration with cinematographer Gordon Willis as, in quotes, a major turning point, end quote, in that unlike the farces and comedies that were his work to that point, it introduced a new level of seriousness. Academics have noted the contrast in the settings of New York City and Los Angeles, the stereotype of gender differences and sexuality, the presentation of the Jewish identity, and the elements of psychoanalysis and modernism. In 1992, the United States Library of Congress selected the film for preservation in the National Film Registry as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Although the film received critical acclaim and several awards, Allen himself was disappointed with it and said in an interview, in quotes, when Annie Hall started out, the film was not supposed to be what it wound up with. The film was supposed to be what happens in a guy's mind. Nobody understood anything that went on. The relationships between myself and Diane Keaton was all anyone cared about. That was not what I cared about. In the end, I had to reduce the film to just me and Diane Keaton and that relationship. So I was quite disappointed in that movie. End quote. Alan has repeatedly declined to make a sequel, and a 1992 interview um, stated that, in quote, sequelism has become an annoying thing, end mm. quote. A lot to unpack there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think this movie was, was very powerful <clears throat> in, in either what he intended it to be or what ultimately it became. Yeah. I think it, it had some very powerful message, like like there was a message of, of disassociation with the woman when she was having sex and she didn't yeah. want to weed. That was, uh, it was, it was pretty ham-fisted, 
but but I don't know any other movies who who went into like psychoanalysis like you said like that. And I that think that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of extra stuff going on like with Friends with Benefits or Fool's Gold. It's like there's a love story and then there's maybe like another extra story going on. But this like Devin said has psychoanalysis. It has like gender identity. It has Jewish identity. It has jokes flying off the cuff left and right. It has it's steeped in the knowledge of <laughs> psychoanalysis and. Physi- like I don't even know. Yeah, yeah psychiatry. Like, like the insecurity of man. And yeah, it, it's a it's a very deep and remarkable movie. I think. And not even just Rich. the the psychiatry yeah. and the depth of the writing itself, but on the surface level of the writing itself, it kind of broke barriers as far as movies. And we kind of discussed this as being a film that was really um like reformative and is now a lot of movies are very derivative of it for Mm -hmm. breaking the fourth wall for being a movie without a score and really diving into the dialect of things um you know that thing being a meta film in its time was something that was kind of looked past and uh it's intensely introspective it's postmodern it's all these these wonderful subversive things that i think is even more astonishing that it was made in 1977 when we have been watching rom-coms for the next 50 years and have seen, you know, a lot worse, a lot more basic stories. And yet this movie sucked ass. <laughs> yeah, that's why I we're doing it. the podcast. <laughs> um, so that's my history. What you have anything on Woody Allen himself? <clears throat> um, he's a he's a known pedophile. That is true. Yeah, he was accused of sexually assaulting his stepdaughter. Whoa. What the Louis. fuck is Louie doing over with, there? With Mia Farrow, very famous starlet of the 1980s. Um, he married his married Mia Farrow's adoptive daughter after they broke up named Sunyi. I think her name is Sunyi something. I don't know. But she was like 18 when they got together and then 21 when they got married. And it was like his ex-wife's adopted daughter. So it was kind of weird. They're, they're still married. And that's not kind of weird. That's They're still married? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess if they're still married, it's not super weird. Yeah, he's he's just had a lot of icky allegations around him. Yeah, but a huge Knicks fan. He's a big Knicks fan, and I'm a big fan of his movies. Yeah, yeah, maybe not of his exploits. Oh, he's a Knicks fan. That fucking he could be a Nazi. <laughs> and so that's it for history. Lucas, you want to tell us about our budget? Oh, budget facts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the budget four million dollars. Shit. And if we take into inflation, is that well? The, is that including inflation, or is that the? No, that's just what it was then. They spent four million. That's that's like fucking thirty million dollars. That's twenty million dollars. Eighteen million. Pretty cheap. Yeah, eighteen million. I mean, his in today's movie, standard, yeah, eighteen million is a ton. His movies are never rely on anything that would be in too intensely expensive. I don't think. Cause oh it, no. Yeah, it's it's all like it's mostly dialogue driven, character driven. Yeah, I don't see what in this movie would cost $18 million. Yeah. Locations, casting. Diane Keaton in New York, yeah, would be the... That That's about it. Like, but... Casting would be, like, the most expensive thing, but are, do you really pay, like, a star, like, $4 million? Yeah. Yeah. I need to become an actor. Yeah. There, like, <laughs> like, for some films, like, The Rock will make $20 million for one role. Jesus. Like, for Fast and Furious, I think... He, like Vin Diesel makes fifteen million or something. Like Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, has made like forty million for a role before. Yeah, but also is the movie industry that big as it is now? 
Back then? Back in yeah. the 70s? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, this is the time of Jaws and Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, okay. No, no further complaints. <laughs> For box office-wise, opening weekend, it is not available. Mm-hmm. <laughs> U.S. and Canada, though, total made $38.2 million, and worldwide made $38.3 million. So that is, like, <clears throat> $100,000. $120 million? 100000 I was going to say 100000 extra it made worldwide. Oh. But, yeah. You were, you were doing... So worldwide, yes. so yeah, it's 170 million dollars it made. That's like on an 18 million dollar budget. Not even the budget of Transformers. Correct. They spent more money making Transformers than this film Oscar winning, yeah. made. But that's that wasn't the point of this film was to make money. It was to explore the insecurities and the sexual desires of man <clears throat> and how that can overcome. Oh, oh and, and that how that can overcome any emotions and now it's a tagline time tagline tagline time i, I will force out this is a lame tagline oh i love it a nervous romance <laughs> it's it's it very succinct tells it what it is yeah i mean it's it's kind of just it's, it's a little basic a little basic i love it i don't think you need anything flashy for it yeah you're right does it describe the film well yeah, it does. It does. But, you know, the tagline is supposed to be catchy. It's supposed to, you know, it's supposed to be like the... the Draw you in. The hook of the thesis. I Tag, w- you're it. I would watch something. Yeah. If I heard something was a nervous romance, I would probably watch it. I think that sounds fun. It is a unique way to describe a romance. Yeah, I guess. Um, I see your point, though, too, Devin. Yeah, yeah. It's not shitty. No, it's not, <laughs> it's not cats with hats only, by any means. The slice of the dicer, and neither of them are nicer. (laughs) There are worse ones. I hated Freddy versus Jason so much. (laughs) And so we're through our tagline, which means now it's time for our cats facts. Some might call it our Hall and Oates facts. Our Hall facts. Annie Hall. Annie Hall. Hall and Oates facts. (laughs) You're making my dreams come true. Yeah, 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 you. You're making my dreams come true. (laughs) Making my dreams come true. Hi, hi. Hi. Oh, hi. Hi. (laughs) Well, bye. You you play very well. Oh yeah, so do you. Oh God, what a what a dumb thing to say, right? I mean, you say it, you play well, and then right away, I have to say you play well. Oh oh God, Annie. Well, oh well. La di da, la di da, la la. She's a man eater. <laughs> That's a totally different song, man. We tried to do that pause. <laughs> So many times, and we just kept continuing with the song. <laughs> okay, my first Hollow Notes fact for you <laughs> for you today is that though frequently regarded as one of Woody Allen's best films, Allen himself doesn't think very highly of it. Only being able to see how much it doesn't live up to really what he really wanted it to be, which I kind of already addressed yeah. in our history. So we'll move on. It, it is interesting that. His most critically acclaimed film, he isn't all that 
proud of. Yeah, I wonder what his most proud film is. That's a good question. I think this was this like maybe from your other cats facts will determine this too. But like this is his first departure from like straight comedy movies, and maybe he intended to make this. I think a, like a straight more of a comedic movie, and so it took it in a different direction, which he wasn't ready for yet. Very well, could be. Um, my next one is that Woody Allen originally envisioned this movie as a murder mystery. Yeah. With a subplot about a romance. During script revisions, Allen decided to drop the murder plot, which he and Marshall Brickman later revitalized into his 1993 film, Mur- Manhattan Murder Mystery. A good good call. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Are you sure? I don't think this would have benefited from a murder mystery aspect. Who would have died? Probably his friend. What's his friend's name? Rob. Rob. That's a, yeah. They kill Rob. All right. I don't know. I, I feel like an element of grief would also be good in this. About mystery. Yeah, uh, who done it? Not the mystery, but the grief would be. Good. Grief could have been good. We'll save that for Pete. Grief you know. is always good. <laughs> <laughs> and divorce, and dealing with Alzheimer's, and cancer, yeah, and the all... Nazis. <laughs> um, my next one is that Annie's outfits, which caused a brief fashion rage in 1977 were diane keaton's own clothes yeah sort of sort of tomboyish femme male uh, look she yeah she always wore she always had like a tie yeah. and like a vet it looked like what like it's disney like, stars in 2006 at like the nickelodeon choice awards were trying to pull off you know a little bit if they weren't wearing like a skirt over jeans and a t-shirt it's like a like a male business chic and we can't even say these things to Devin because he was he was like four years old at the time this math is so easy i was born in 2000 so in 2006 i was six I don't know if that math adds up. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I, was, I think I think you're trashed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, yo. Everything I, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Discredit it. Whenever this video comes out for you guys to watch, you should see Devin is just lounging. On the, <laughs> usually, all three of us are sitting on the same couch together, but we've got a two-mic setup now um, to potentially add guests and whatnot going forward, and Devin is just straight chilling on the couch. Because it's, he doesn't have to work after this recording, so... I'm getting hammered. Yeah. Okay, my next Hollow Notes fact. <laughs> She's a man-eater. <laughs> no, I love man-eater, though. <laughs> oh, she got, that's so fun. Is that um, Alvy's... Sne- who's played by Woody Allen, Alvy. His sneezing into the cocaine was an unscripted accident. Mm. When previewed, the audience laughed so loud that director Woody Allen decided to leave it in and had to add footage to compensate for people missing the next few jokes from laughing too much. What is going on? Caesar's about to attack Louis. Get him! Get him! Death! And now he's just licking his eyeballs. But yeah, so that was an accident, which seemed, seemed very scripted, but... It did seem super scripted, yeah. But I've seen that that gag reused later on. So even that little sneezing in the cocaine gag. Oh yeah, it's been used in multiple. I can, it's how I, how or not how I mean horrible bosses. Mm-hmm. I can name that right off the top. There there are little bits, little bits throughout <laughs> this movie. Look at Louis' hand. Yeah, he does that. There are little bits throughout this little bits <laughs> that um I've noticed in like TV series or movies later. The 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 lobster thing. 
was in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I love mm. you. It, it's in a, yeah. a future comedy. Yeah. And I can't remember what it is right now, but I totally remember. Like, oh, it's going to get your face on. Yeah. Hmm. But hey, we can we can point these throughout the movie yeah. too because they're littered throughout. But yeah, it was actually cocaine. It's probably actually cocaine. It was a seventy. It probably was. There was no laws. He was his own boss. There was no laws. <laughs> Not in the seventies. <laughs> um, my next fact is that at ninety three minutes, this is the second shortest film to win Best Picture Oscar. The shortest film to win was called Marty in nineteen fifty five at ninety one minutes. The first rough cut of this film, however, was two hours and 20 minutes. Mm. So they scrapped 50 minutes from this film. Jesus. That's how you, this is how you edit a movie right here. You chop it down to the digestible hour and a half that we're all used to and keep the best stuff. You know what I mean? Because this movie would, I don't think would have benefited with 40 more minutes of Alvy and Annie. Uh, I don't think so either. No, this movie wouldn't, but I, I don't think the rom-com genre was ever meant for a long thing but like green mile or like goodwill hunting those are movies that like you want the i don't even know if goodwill hunting you need it but yeah something like the green if it's something that has to do with like usually action or usually like a historical period piece or something you know your lawrence of arabia's and your titanics and things like that you might need a lot of stuff in there to build the story the history of everything but yes, I don't think a rom-com needs yeah. two plus hours to really... It's very judicious it with its time. Nice. Um, next, the film's working title was Anhedonia, which <laughs> is the inability to feel pleasure. United <laughs> Artists fought against it, among other things. They were unable to come up with an ad campaign that explained the meaning of the word. And Woody Allen compromised on naming the film after the central character three weeks before the film's premiere. Wow. Others' titles suggest- suggested were It Had to Be Jew, <laughs> A Roller Coaster Named Desire, mm. and Me and My Goy. <laughs> what? I don't... That has to be a Jewish thing. It has I, to be. I, yeah, goy, a goyim is, I believe, I might be speaking out of turn, a, a white person or a person who isn't a Jew. They're all goyims. So this is from Annie Hall's perspective, Me yeah. and My Goy. yeah. Well, the thing is, is I I don't like how little he explored his Jewish identity. Mm-hmm. It, it, more he made like a couple jokes about it, a few jokes a about little it. Bit. And he never tried to seriously explore that. And and apparently he wanted it to be a major theme in the movie. But but here I didn't even know he was Jewish. I thought he was just. Really? It was like I mean I'm sure maybe someone more intuitive than Silver, <laughs> but. For me, he didn't seriously try and explore that theme as much as I'm sure he intended to, and maybe that's why he didn't like it as much. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I didn't feel like I needed to be Jew pounded in the movie, but <laughs> I mean, there, there. That is the correct term, Jew pounded. Yeah, yeah. And it's less about like his like his like Jewish religion. It's more about like the the ideas of, it, of the perceptions and stereotypes of the interlace of like the New York Jew stereotype, or not even stereotype, like just the experience of like a New York Jew in the 1970s. Because like I, Woody Allen might be like the most Jewish guy ever. That's true, but, but I don't movie, know if we're being racist or how not. How I saw it was was he just made jokes about it. There was there was no serious scene about him being a Jew. Uh, it was just about it, her grandma hates Jews. It, he never actually explicitly said, "I am a Jew." I don't. I don't. I don't think I may have missed it. But. Did you not see the scene when he was dressed as the most stereotypical Jew of all time at the dinner table? 
when it flashed to him with the beard and the sideburns and the top a, hat and the an orthodox. Yeah. Oh, I did. You missed that? No, I I saw it because I remember because he said something about the lobster being dynamite or something. But <laughs> yeah, I guess I I don't know how I I'm, I'm <laughs> stereotypical orthodox Jew, but <laughs> I guess I did. Yeah, there were a couple things that pointed to him being a Jew, but I I yeah, you could have he could have pushed it a little more. Yeah. Uh, my next one is that with this film, Woody Allen became the first person to give an Oscar-nominated performance in a film for which he won Best Director. Wow. I, I doubt that's even been replicated. I was trying to think of a director that acts in their own film. Like, Ben Affleck almost got nominated for Argo when he yeah, won. Yeah, he didn't get well, nominated you have to, for directed. He didn't even get nominated for... This is for somebody that won director and was nominated. For Best Actor, yeah. I don't think that's ever been done. Which is pretty crazy diverse versatile i was gonna say maybe bradley cooper wasn't nominated for stars born he didn't win either yeah but he wasn't even nominated yeah so. no that's that's intense and i know too that he skipped the oscar ceremony that year too because he has he said he had a long-standing appointment to play clarinet in his neighborhood jazz band <laughs> <laughs> so he basically so kind he, of like marlon brando in the previous year or whatever yeah. was like i don't care about the institution of the oscars like, yeah exactly the this 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 the award show is a fallacy in and of itself and i don't need to be here kind of like what frank ocean has yeah, done with the I mean, grammys too even in this movie he was sort of lashing out against awards when he was in la that's true yeah that is true all righty yeah woody allen reminds me of like a, a grumpy old man who hates everything modern that's that's a that very that's, that's yeah. a good yeah. that's that's woody allen uh my next fact is that this ranks 35th on AFI's, the American film industry's list of greatest films in American cinema. What's number one? I don't know. I didn't look oh. at the whole thing. It I think does, it's like Casablanca or something. It's, probably, it's or Citizen Kane or Godfather or yeah. Shosh. It's one. Of, it's one of those. Gone with the Wind. Um, it also ranks number. It ranks fourth in laughs, eleventh <laughs> in passions, and is ranked the number two rom com of all time. What's the number one? Did you see that? One? I did look it up, and I can't remember what it's called. It was from 1953. Is it like Some Like It Hot or something like that? Something like, I don't know. All about Eve? I don't think it was All About Eve. Because I would have remembered that name, but yeah, it was... It happened one night. It it was It Happened One Night. Mm, Yes. Yeah, that was it. I think It Happened One Night is one of the three movies that has won all the big five awards at the Oscars. Best Director, Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. With One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest... Silence of the Lambs. And then this other one. And No, I think there's one in the 2000s, too. I don't believe so. Oh, maybe not. But yeah, there's only a handful. The big five. And my last one is that the Oscar noms. This was nominated only for the big five. Hmm. Director, screenplay, actor, picture, actress. Hmm. And it got four of the five Ah. wins. It got picture, director, writer, and actress. Woody Allen just missed winning best actor. To complete the big five. That would have been, yeah. I mean... As a director, if he won the best actor, too, at the Oscars. Yeah. I mean, he was a pretty good actor in it, too. Oh, I I think he did great in it. He was mostly playing himself, I think. Yeah, for sure. It was a heightened emotional performance, I thought. Yeah. My boy would have had a head so big, man. He already does. Believe if he won best actor. (laughs) And with that, that is the end of our Hall of Notes facts. Um, so let's get into the movie. How about, how about we? 
How about we? My, my first note is, I loved Annie Hall, except for the scary lion at the <laughs> beginning. <laughs> <laughs> the quote from Lucas, because Lucas, anytime I do my reviews, I now look for something with the word scary in it. Yeah. Because Lucas gets a kick out of people thinking movies are scary. when it's So, what do we have? We had kicking and screaming, yeah, kick and the, the butcher the, kids. The scary kids, yeah. <laughs> There was one other one right after that. I thought there was a cat from outer space or it something. It was, yeah. When the cat stepped out of the spaceship, I was so scared. Because <laughs> remember, he said he had to use that trick later on in life. Oh yeah, it was the it was the French was that the French twins that saw so. it in the cinema when they were six. Yeah, and exactly. And they they were little lions growing up. <laughs> no, but we had the MGM old old lion who roars twice at the beginning of the old movies, and that was very terrifying <laughs> to some. <laughs> yeah. And now you get intro credits. Classy. With no sound. It is just some credits. Calling, harking back to the days of the silent movie. Oh. Yes. Derivative. More pain homage. More of a... Of a pastiche. More of a pastiche. More pastiche? Yeah, more of a pastiche than anything. Because we're just going to speak in the, the biggest, like, analytical yeah. sense. What did you think of the mise-en-scene uh. in this, Devin? Well, I thought that... You could be a film critic. That was really good. <laughs> Maybe it's because you've had one too many drinks, but that was really good. I don't remember what I said, but... It was Damn, like, we should have done... When we worked at Coldstone, we should have done French accents. I seriously think if I had six drinks working at Coldstone, I would be the best customer for this. <laughs> <laughs> in the world. We would be throwing ice cream all the time. <laughs> We'd be missing. Dropping a lot, but... Devin and I used to do accents for people that would come in. Yeah, we'd, well, the thing was, <laughs> we'd have a line to the door, right? And, and at Coldstone, I don't know if you've ever been to a Coldstone... But people are packed close together. This was before the pandemic. Mm. And there would be only Devin and I working or one. It was only two or three yeah, of us. Yeah, so we'd, be, I, we'd go to the back real quick and be like, all right, we're going to do a different accent for, for every, <laughs> every customer. customer. The, the thing is, when, when someone's ordering, the person behind them can very clearly hear us. So we'd be doing a shitty, like, Australian accent. Like all these fucking dumbasses, and then we'd go up to them and do like a German accent. Remember that time I tried to greet the people in an Australian? And I was like, "Hello." <laughs> <laughs> well, you tried to do an Indian accent. Yeah, <laughs> you can't do an Indian. I should have got canceled yeah, right yeah, then and there. Did one of these. That, that's it, man. That's how you go down. Oh my god, it was it was so bad. And the thing was, is our accents were never like we're not great. You're better than I am, but we're not yeah. great at accents. So it was always a shitty, it was a shitty British accent. The thing is, I, transferring into a shitty Boston accent. I don't know if like people in Montana are, are, are like too too polite or, or whatever. But <laughs> no one ever fucking mentioned it, which was even better. Oh, Brandon just chortled his beer on his. <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh man! Yeah, I don't. I don't think we ever had had one person even fucking mention us doing like <laughs> different accents every single customer. <laughs> or the one when your accent, you did a Boston accent, and it got more and more extreme as you went along with the. Oh the, yeah. Yeah, it was like, yeah. hey man, what can I get for you? And then later it was like, hey yo, my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Tony back out east. Yeah. <laughs> Me like this guy who's been born and raised in Montana. <laughs> but like, 
Hey, how you doing? You know, my fucking cousin Tony fucking loves the mint. He mixes some goddamn chocolate chips in there. He eats it. I mean, he's lactose intolerant. So holy cow, when we get home, it's a bit of like World War Three. You know what I'm saying? You you, you call them like the uh, something Picasso too. You're like, oh yeah, the the fucking Dairy Picasso or something, whatever. <laughs> oh, it was the the Dairy Da Vinci. <laughs> yeah, the Dairy Da Vinci. It, just, it was so bad. All right, let's get back to this fucking <laughs> accent. Oh, my screen went white. It always goes white. Oh, it's back. Oh, but now I got words in the way. I'll pull it up. How far did we get into the film? Um, <laughs> we, we didn't. Got, we, we got to credits. Yeah. <laughs> Classy credits. My screen is now black. Oh. See how uh, like positive he was when he said the screen was white and how negative he was? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> it's, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It came. It's coming. It's coming. Um, so right off the bat. Alvi, our Woody Allen character, breaks the fourth wall and is telling jokes and about his background with Annie Hall. Yep, he's laying out sort of... Laying that groundwork. He is, and he's sort of telling you, he's just leading you through what happens right away. He says, like, yep, me and, Al, me and Annie didn't make it, and, like, I've been wondering why. So he tells you the end of the movie before it even starts. Yeah, it's all, a retro, it's all retrospective, this film. Yeah. A retrospective, placebo-controlled... Uh, cross analytical tr- clinical trial. Sure, was what this film was. Um, There's no will they or won't they. That's not the point of this romance. Yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a how. It's they? how. It's how can you learn and grow from these and experiences? Why? Yeah. Um, and now you cut to young Alvy as a kid having an existential crisis about the universe expanding. He is six years old, and he's like. <laughs> The universe is expanding, and we're all going to die if it expands too much. Oh, it's going to collapse in on itself. And and this psychiatrist naturally was just fucking smoking a cigarette and like yeah. laughing his goddamn head off. <laughs> that won't happen for a hundred years, Alvy. Oh. Yeah, but it, it, it shows you that even from the beginning, Alvy was like a nervous little wreck. <clears throat> I mean, he, anxiety riddled. He, he is the epitome of anxiety, basically. Yeah. Before mental health was a huge issue. Because like we said, this is a it's, it's groundbreaking for what they called analysis, which is just their therapy sessions. And yeah. Like that wasn't really a thing before. So the epitome no, of anxiety. At least not in the mainstream, but yeah. Neuroticism. Yeah. And you also find out he grew up under like the roller coaster in Brooklyn, which is actually in Coney Island. I just found it really interesting him eating soup as the roller coaster goes by. He's like eating tomato soup. Is that actually a thing, do you think? A house under... No, there's no way. Uh, yeah, I, I, I read that he was scouting locations and he saw that house was under the under the uh, freaking roller coaster. He said, oh, we got to put that in the movie. So it is a You thing. know, that's actually true. I don't think anybody lives there. I bet it's just like a, a piece like they do like uh, work where, on the yeah, uh, roller coaster. Yeah, carnies cook crack. <laughs> <laughs> the crack carnies. Yeah. The crack cooking carnies crack under there. Crack cooking carnies of Coney Island. But yes, he did dry and... Sp- he saw that in Coney Island. He said, I had to put this in here. So that's what he put that. I just laughed so much. at Him trying to eat the tomato soup with his like <laughs> spoon just jamming back and forth with the roller coaster going over he, top. That's what he attributes to his nervous personality. Yeah. And now young Alvy just kissed this girl in class... For the second time this month, just unprompted. Just yeah, because he has a healthy sexual curiosity. <laughs> at six. 
Yeah, even though Freud speaks of a latency period, which is the movie is <laughs> is just is sprinkled throughout with these references that we mostly didn't get or completely didn't get because <laughs> it's just steeped steeped in like references of what I don't even think it is is super derivative of the time he was in. I think it was just like he's too smart for us. Yeah, it was very <laughs> clinical and and very like. Um, What's the word? Academic. Philosophical. Yeah. Very philosophical. Yeah. There were a lot. Of, I mean, there were. I bet there were some things that were more time period stamped where we're like, I don't know. Yeah. I grew up in 90. I was born in 96. I don't know. Or well, when you referenced Cheech and Chong or. Well, I got that. Yeah. But like that was like the time period kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Or Eisenhower or what have you. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of political things in there too. But yeah, he does mention the latency period for Freud and. Yeah, it kind of shows his intellectual kind of prowess that continues throughout the film. And now he's like, I always wondered where my classmates end up. So now you get all of his classmates talking about where they are with current Alvy sitting in the classroom. And now it's current day. Mm-hmm. And immediately, Devin had to pee. What can I say? Because he, he drank three beers. I had to pee like how many times during this film? Like four you, you peed four or five times and you both had to make breakfast burritos. <laughs> it took so long. But um, immediately, Lucas points out the shot in this film. Which is this shot? The long walking shot on the oh, street. Oh, yeah, the leading to, the, to yeah. modern times. Yeah. Because it's it's Rob, it's a still camera shot, and it's his friend Rob, who's a very tall, handsome actor of the 70s, and, and kind of goofy-looking Woody Allen. They, from a long distance way, approach and talk all the way through until the camera meets him, and then the camera follows him. Probably like two and a half minutes of just straight dialogue of them walking. Yeah, I thought it was super cool. And as they are smaller, grow bigger in the frame, obviously, from distance, which I think is a good transition of young to old. As what they are now, it's kind of a a physical representation of aging. Isn't this isn't this cool? How many cool things you can do with just film? You know, just camera work. Yeah, I think I think it's 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 so cool that like in the past you had novels and after novels it was silent films, and then after silent films it was black and white films. Um, I just think it, it's it's very impressive the the and now it's big D. Big 3D. I, I think the dynamics you can portray with with three dimensional audio and and stuff like this, even in the 70s, I think it's yeah. a powerful medium. Woody Allen kind of fucking nailed it here. Yeah, this is this is not even like hardly commercial at all. Like you said, like the novel to silent films, like this is art. You yeah. know what I mean? He's not. He's just trying to do his best for art. Yeah, and, and like, you I can, can tell. tell this this meant a lot to him. Like he put a lot of himself into this film, and, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like bared his soul. There was one point when you peed, Devin, later in the film, and just like this walking shot, Lucas and I just sat and analyzed like the light and the camera frame, and like literally, yeah. we we went we went film yeah. student yeah. mode on it. The old every picture is a frame. Yeah. Yeah. But so um, after this long walking shot, they're talking about being called a Jew in New York and everything in the 70s. And Alvy's on his way to meet Annie outside for a movie. But she's late and he keeps waiting and waiting and waiting. And some super Italian guys are just all up in his face. Hey, Alvy, you, you on TV, man. <laughs> you on the, what's your name? Hey, man, did that guy's Alvy Singer. Alvy Singer, I saw him on the Jordan Springer show. <laughs> oh, the, no, no. Oh, he shit his pants. I told you, he wears the pens. 
What the fuck? Yeah, I, I, I shit everywhere. I said I'll be Springer and look what you did. All right, I, I'm gonna charge you fifty bucks for that. I don't change diapers for free. And that's how you con a celebrity. <laughs> well, yeah, they ask him for an autograph and stuff, and finally Andy shows up. She's two minutes late. They have to miss the movie because he's very anal about seeing the movie from start to finish, even if it's the Swedish credits. Yeah, he has to. He has. He has to see the whole thing in perpetuity, which is like a thing of his as a movie, as like a filmmaker too. Like he doesn't want his audience to come in halfway through. He wants them to see it as a whole piece of art. And you know, this guy behind them in the movie because so they go to a different movie and uh the, this the guy pride and the sorrow yeah the the german nazi film the, the four, four hour documentary of the nazis it's four hours yeah Holy yeah God. which is only five hours shorter than the showa documentary which i've seen a good bit of showa documentary showa yeah it's a, a nine hour documentary about Holy the, crap that's what we should watch next yeah the podcast is gonna be six hours um this guy behind them at line in the movie though was just going off, just talking about all this, you know, everything about film and yeah. how, what was his name? McLean. McLuhan, yeah. Mitchell was, McLuhan. Marshall McLuhan. Marshall McLuhan. Yeah, because he was complaining about a Federico Fellini movie, who was like a famous Italian, yeah, um, new age sort of director. Um, he's referencing an article by Marshall McLuhan, who was a New Yorker film reviewer at the time, and he's saying all this like pseudo intellectual bullshit that. That Will Hunting would have called him out for if if he was there, and he was just trying to impress this girl that he was with, and so Alvy breaks the fourth wall again. Yeah, and he He's invites super... and he invites the guy he was arguing with into the fourth wall breakdown, yeah, which becomes even more meta. Not only is one character doing it, but the person that he's complaining about, yeah. he invites into it, and then the person that the man was discussing, Marshall McLuhan, they bring him into the frame yeah. as well to discuss what he thinks about the annoying movie reviewer guy behind him is really portraying Marshall McLuhan in the, the correct light. And the crazy thing too about this whole conversation and where it's taking place <clears throat> is that Alvy and Annie are having like this all. So like really personal talk about like their sexual needs and and their compatibility and like that has just then been interlaced with this sort of pseudo intellectual thing. It's behind pretty perpetuous in, yeah. in a way where and, and hypocritical where he's complaining about the guy behind him yet this whole time they're he, having a similar kind of style discussion yeah. to the person breathing on the person in front of him and he's able to do it all in a comedic way. Too. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, they're discussing their sex lives and about Annie missing therapy. How Alvy makes all these problems about him. He's like very egocentric in a way. And, um, yeah, so they go see the sorrow and the pity. Yeah. (laughs) And now Alvy is reflecting on a previous meeting with his ex wife, Allison. Allison Porchnik. (laughs) Yeah. He was at some performance. He was about to do a stand up act, but after a comedy act, he was mad and she was the person calling him up on stage or whatnot. And he just does not stop talking. Well, yeah, throughout his life, I don't think. Yeah. This movie, I, I bet he has twice as many lines as any other actor in movie history. Oh, for almost. Sure. <laughs> in a 90-minute film? Yeah. He is just a chatter. I mean, that's that's part of the neurotic joy of Woody Allen. Yeah. But It's kind of a monologue of his, which uh, might have been what he was shooting for, just like like an introspection into, into his mind. Exactly. His own mind, yeah. Because it is semi-autobiographical, yeah. And he did have a relationship with Diane Keaton before the movie, too. Yes. Oh, I forgot to mention that in my history. Woody Allen and Diane Keaton, our two leads, were together, Devin, as a real couple. Like before this movie or after this movie? Before. I think before and during. And during. Wow. And they were, they were still able to 
become like like make this movie good yeah better because of it almost because their chemistry was so real i thought yeah and at this stand-up i think alvi killed it in his stand-up these were these jokes landed on me (laughs) that were a lot of eisenhower jokes yeah you weren't the intended audience but now he's about to have sex with Allison, but he's so torn up about JFK's assassination <laughs> by Lee Harvey Oswald, and it's really all connection to his current relationship with Annie because they were having trouble with their sex yeah. lives. He was and using the JFK murder <laughs> conspiracy as a way to avoid having sex with his wife, which is pretty funny. That's, I mean, it's super but also very real. Yeah. He, he makes a real situation turn into a comedic relief kind of scenario. Which he does throughout. Which is the definition of, like, satire, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's like a satire. It, it almost has a Shakespearean feel to it. The movie? Yeah. Yeah. Just with that satirical irony. But now Annie and Alvy are having potentially one of the most fun moments that I have ever seen in film. Hmm. With them trying to cook lobsters. Yes, they're both dying laughing and giggling because they're afraid to pick up the lobsters and then the lobsters crawl behind the refrigerator and it's just super lovey-dovey. And they're, they're afraid to put, she's afraid to put them into the pot to kill them, yes. but he's afraid to hold them and they're trying to take pictures of the whole thing. Yes, and this is what I was talking a little bit about earlier in the movie when I said that they cut out every at the other 40 minutes of the movie and just kept the absolute best things because this is just, just cinema gold, I thought. I... I hunt, and you could look, you'd be like, a lobster cooking scene? You could cut that. No. I think that this was one of the most instrumental scenes in the film. It showed their chemistry and their connection. Ugh. And how I, much more genuine was it, Those their acting, as opposed to McConaughey and Kate Hudson <laughs> in Fool's Gold? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. This this seemed very real, very often. Yeah. I, you should have seen me sitting over here, because you guys were sitting on the love seat together. And Marina was on the couch making love. making love on the love seat. The love lads. Oh, God damn it. And um, I was just over in the corner here, full on just cheesing. I was just like, yeah, so was I. I was also like gritted. <laughs> oh, you were? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. great. Sometimes romance can get to you. It's fucking cute. It's cute shit. Yeah. There ain't no, there ain't no shame in that. 50 years later, it's still cute. And I put their chemistry and romances off the charts here. And this film is just so meta. Next, they are reflecting on Annie's last relationships Mm -hmm. with not only just them talking over it about the relationship. No, they get to join in the time travel. Yes, they time travel back to her relationship. And their bodies are present in the scene of her with her previous relationships. Yeah, it's not it's not it's not like a magical thing or anything. It's just the way they decide to do the movie. Like it's not like they're traveling back in time or really no, 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 no. they're just talking it through in a postmodern way. And um now there's another flashback to now Alvi's previous relationships. He <laughs> they're at a, like some party or whatever and he just wants to watch the Knicks play <laughs> and he really his his wife I think at the time this was his second wife comes into the room and he just uses sex as an escape for hostility and like which is another play on his and annie's current sex life yeah the the other end of it the extreme of it yeah and eventually you do see him and his wife at the time having sex but his partner cannot get off without noise with all the noises in the city which i think is a play in his current relationship because this kind of comes around the time of annie always smoking weed before they have sex Mm -hmm. how she has to have some kind of artificial relaxation there's just all these connections yes. meshing. Like, you see this, Devin? 
it's, it's, it's you, see, you see this mesh? Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a serious note, though, I, I, I think it is very powerful, and it, and it plays into his insecurity with women and how his past experiences have translated. His baggage is yeah. there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it, it is a very uh, apparently phallic experience, according <laughs> to Brandon's hands. <laughs> and that was a, sort of the same thing with Annie's relationship, too, because we kind of skipped over it, but she talked about how she, or we saw how she was in a relationship with this, like, beautiful actor vapid sort of he looked like jesus he did yeah Yeah, and and she was just sort of like conforming to him like intellectually and trying to like become him and which is which is what she largely tries to do with alvi as well yeah and i think he also um portrays like the like i say insecurity a lot but like i think he betrays the insecurity of how you would feel in that situation knowing that she's dated people way out of your league (laughs) way hotter than woody allen yeah yeah and i I think he, he portrays that very well with you don't need to be hot. It's all about the humor. All about the humor. Funny like, guys about how are possessive great. he is to her, and and how he he knows. You know, I I think it's a, it's I can't. I, it's just a good movie. It's filmmaking. It's a good movie. Yeah, and um, this is where the film becomes start starts to become nonlinear because like you do have the monologue at the beginning, and then young Alvi, and now current day, but now you flash back to the official meet cute yeah it's, it's not even like really a flashback it's just like that's where the film cuts to like the flashbacks were sort of like i guess you know i, I mean? guess in hindsight the whole movie is a flashback since it's a retrospective yes. look on his relationship but yeah so you do go back to the official meet cute between them and his friend rob is meeting with his girlfriend or partner at the time and she brought her friend annie and he brought alvi and they're all gonna play tennis together in this little bubble and i was just dying with the chemistry in the tennis scene too there yeah and it wasn't even like cutesy it wasn't even like alvi and annie interacting in this scene either but you could just feel the romantic tension that was building until finally it's post tennis yeah where they where they have like a it's about, so awkward it's, it's perfect because she's like about to leave and he's like oh you play good and she's like, oh you play good too oh what a stupid thing you, why say. would i say that you play i feel obliged to say you play well if you say you yeah. play well to me and then he asks he's like oh, do you need a lift and she's like oh, yeah sure you where are you going and he's like do you drive he's like no i don't drive i was gonna take a cab she's like oh well i have a car he's like well why do you accept <laughs> the lift then if you have your own car and she's like, yeah that was a stupid thing you know i drive do you want a lift i could take you for a lift no that dumb like this this is a scene that contributed to her winning the best i, I was about Oscar, to say yeah. is if there was one scene that pushed her into the lead for best actress it was because god she was so believable as this this is one of them yeah is this quirky and i think the scene Midwestern, with the, yeah. the spider and on the bed was yeah, i was gonna powerful. say the other one yeah um but yeah she's just quirky and fun and babbling and in a way it plays off of his anxious character that's been built up so far because he's kind of the straight man in this yeah, he's always been the neurotic person, and yet she. It's a kind different of kind of anxiety. Yeah. yeah, it's bubbly anxiety. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's uh, not world's gonna die anxiety. Dread- yeah, dreadful anxiety. But it's just amazing, and there's all this commotion, and their connection is just instant. And then she invites him. Well, she t- she drives him back to his her place uptown, right? She's the most reckless driver I've ever seen. Yeah. How Liz drives. Really? Yeah, good God. She drives 80 and 55. <laughs> Fuck. I know, dude. I have to close my eyes. Is that... 
Now tell me, because I remember when she got in her car wreck and had to get a new car. Was she speeding? Was she being a reckless driver? (laughs) You were driving in that car wreck? Yeah, we were rear-ended. I was turning left. Oh, that's right. You were... So it wasn't even your fault. No, no. He was deemed at fault 100%. But yeah, he was accelerating because we were... It was like one of those left lanes where it's like not a left lane. It's in the middle of the road. And he was turning left and merging into the middle lane instead of like waiting he was accelerating, not paying attention. So it was a turning lane, and you were already in there, but he was trying to go past everybody in yeah. line and just yeah. go through the turning lane. Yeah, mm. exactly. So I just I now I now I need to rant because <laughs> Marina and I got into a little car accident like two winters ago, I think, and last I don't whatever it doesn't matter. And I was turning left into the Buffalo Wild Wings parking lot. Yeah. In a left turning lane and it was it, it had just snowed like crazy. There's a bunch of black ice and this car coming towards us put on his blinker to turn left towards the movie theater there. Uh-huh. And so then I started to initiate my turn and then he just didn't go into the turning lane with his blinker on and just rammed us. Was, he was found at fault, right? So then, so then we went through the insurance company. He's like, "I'm so sorry. I didn't even see what was going on. Like, this is all my fault. You know, whatever." Um, he's like, "I was in town visiting my daughter, or whatever." I was like, "I'm not from here. I'm from Texas or something. I haven't driven in much snow." And so then we filed our complaints. And then the insurance company's like, "Oh, we're gonna have to do it fifty-fifty because he said that." you guys were at fault because you were turning through traffic. And I was like, his blinker was on. I was like, we didn't call the police or anything because it was pretty, nobody was hurt. It was pretty minor. And he's like, well, if we don't have like a police statement or video footage, we have to do it 50-50. And I was like, fuck, he even confessed to it then. Like it was his fault. And it turns out that I think he was trying to cover his tracks. Like he was such a nice old man, but he was trying to cover his tracks because he got into a second wreck that night. God damn it. And we're like, fuck, now we got to pay... $1,200 $1,200 to repair Marina's cars because the insurance isn't going to cover all... I'm so pissed. Yeah, that's bullshit. So pissed. Yeah. Now now you guys know, if you ever get into a wreck, if the police aren't there, just put your phone on record. Capture anything they say. So... Mm. Now yeah, more... Or get up. a dash cam. Just, or, or just a dash yeah, cam. just have a dash cam. Just, just for those instances. Instance I. Well, dash cams are like, you don't even have to worry about them until you get in a crash and then you hit, like, record. It'll record like the past five minutes. Oh, really? Yeah, it just caches it in like a, like what's basically a RAM slot, and then for like five or ten minutes. I love a good RAM slot. (laughs) What can I say? A RAM slot? RAM slot. Dude, this podcast is going to be so long. Yeah. Let's get on with it. We're making our way through the plot, actually. Um, But now, where did I go? They park after this reckless driving, and she invites him upstairs for wine. And he, he goes up and he talks about how he's free until going to an analyst later, which is our therapy session that we find out. Um, and that he's been seeing her for 15 years. She's shocked about it. And while they're hanging out in her room, he notices some family photos on the wall. And she tells him all about this story <laughs> of Grammy Hall's brother, George, who had narcolepsy. And then he just didn't wake up on time. <laughs> it was it was like such a nervous comedic moment because like it is serious. Like this story is, is all about her great, great uncle dying or whatever. Yeah. But he had narcolepsy and it was always a funny thing how he would just fall asleep. Then he was in line to get a turkey from the union because he always got a free turkey at Christmas. He was standing in line and he fell asleep because he had narcolepsy and then he just died there. And she's just laughing her ass off about it. And <laughs> Alvy's just standing there like, 
What the? <laughs> I just asked about these photos. Now you're telling me about your dead great great uncle or whatever. You guys said that like these. You you guys are way more qualified than me at, at judging acting as well. But you, but you guys said that these, um, the bed with the spider and the. What was the scene that you... The, the tennis... The, the post-tennis scene? Post-tennis scene. I would say that this scene would put her in the most best actor because I think it was very believable with dealing with... I don't know. I just thought it was like... That is a very realistic, believable scene. Like, if you told me that was someone recording on their phone, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that seems right. That's true. But still funny, yeah. yeah. But still funny. It was a really that, good And that really good. sort of matched her energy, too, from when they met, because she's just sort of, like, nervously bumbling around, where it's not like she's just telling a story, but she's also working with the context. That and it, she's uh, juggling the wine. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's a thing to acting where it's not just what you're doing, but what you aren't doing as well, because, like, even, like, Woody Allen's character, Alvy, yeah. just the, the look of shock on his face in these scenes was like, what the fuck is like that's great acting even though he's not saying anything or physical acting where she's like moving around quickly telling the story and bubbling that's great Leonardo DiCaprio went off of physical acting maybe entirely in The Revenant I mean partly also due to he was overdue for one but yeah little season boy he grumping you see if if he if he lays with you and you just barely move and it nudges his butt when he's he's so fucking pissed at you (laughs) but um. After that, Annie Hall talks. They're up on the rooftop and they're drinking their wine. And Annie talks about how her Grammy Hall hates Jews. Yeah. And this is where this is the first kind of like Jewish thing where he reacts to it because he has talked about himself being a Jew in like that opening walking scene. But this is where you see his reaction to it, and he's just like, "Oh fuck, what if I have to meet this woman? Like, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a super Jewish." And then and then we get a a cool scene. Of them outside where they're talking very meta yeah because they're talking about her photography and then but there's like a like a literal subtitles underneath it that because we had to turn our subtitles off to watch we, it. we did turn our subtitles off to read the the inner monologue of what they were thinking subtitles yeah which is which is her being like i hope he thinks i'm smart enough like i kind of think i'm a schmuck and he's just like she looks so hot i want to see her naked <laughs> yeah the inner machinations of the mind are an enigma. But yeah, the, the inner monologue is very intrigued with one another. They're very into each other, obviously. Like, right off the bat. Are able to literally have two conversations at once. Yes. And they want to meet up again. They plan for Saturday. But Andy remembers that she is singing that night in a nightclub for the first time. But Elvie wants to come. But she's so nervous about it. And at this nightclub... This would... They, I think... Oh, sorry to interrupt you, but I think in like a typical rom-com, this would be the moment where he like unequivocally falls in love with her when she goes on stage and sings something beautiful. And, then and she, would, like, she would look in his eyes yeah. the whole time. Like you don't ever see him in the crowd. No. She does, while she sings, she does look to the camera, which could be pointed towards her looking towards Alvi, yeah. but it is never directly shown, which I think is nice. Uh, yeah, that's what definitely sets this apart from other other rom-coms. But the gig does not go as planned. There's so much commotion, people talking, dropping plates, phones ringing, yeah. and she does sing well, but all that noise just kind of throws it off. It doesn't feel right. And afterwards, he's still, he's still saying it went so well because he was there. And he proposes to plan their first kiss now, before dinner, so that they don't have to worry about it anymore. Which is a a deter from normal rom-coms again. That first kiss is supposed to be romantic. It seems very, uh, like, 
like elementary, but n- like not elementary as in being basic, but elementary as being like that some like shit you pull in sixth grade. <laughs> it, it is elementary yeah. school um, elementary. Yeah. Like, um, I, I don't know if I would put it. Hello? Um, I, I don't know. I just feel like I would pull that shit in like middle school as opposed to when I'm 35 balding. <laughs> Which again, I feel like. Spalding. Balding, which again I feel like plays into to How Woody Allen's yeah. like mindscape. Yes, you know? that he's not grown since he was a child mm. at the beginning, or Good he has point. some trauma that he hasn't resolved. So, so whenever he feels uncomfortable, he resorts to when he last felt. You know, yeah. But I don't know. there's there's a lot of like whether whether or not it's elementary, she goes along with this plan. She, they they have their kiss. You know, it's not a big deal, and they go to dinner. Didn't and they know her. Nice. And after they have dinner, they have sex for the first time. And then they're on for round two after a quick sig. Well, she, no, it's a joint. She smokes a joint at the end. Oh, it was a joint. Yeah, because cause he was like... I, I mean, that makes sense with yeah, hindsight. Yeah. yeah. It helps her relax. He says he doesn't do any major hallucinogenics because a party five years ago, he tried to take his pants off over his head when he did. <laughs> but also, weed is not a hallucinogenic. Caesar, you get down. I quit moving. You Okay. You grumpy boy. It's the slightest movements that get him. It could be even me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he just, just Caesar has one of the meanest snarls I've ever seen. When he snarls, he's so fucking. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see ya. Bye, Caesar. I we love you, but you're such a grump. Oh, you're gonna go to Devon now. <laughs> Great. Um. So she smokes a joint. They're on for round two. And quickly after being together, there's like a little montage of dates and whatnot. They yeah. say, I love you. But Alvi. Oh, that's one of my quotes. Well, you. you okay. Save well, we'll it. save it. But I was just going to say, he doesn't technically say, I love you. Which I think mm. is, looking back, is kind of like a a prelude to what's to come. It's in, I, I watched. He never says, I love you to her throughout the film. Ooh, yeah. Good, yeah. Part like, highlight is never fully committed. Problems with women, yeah. He's too egocentric. To because later someone. he does say he wants the, to keep it. Flexible. The only person he says he loves is himself when he says that masturbation joke. Yep. Yeah. And um, we also have a cool, sorry, little other topic. Oh, go for a little it. theme that he brings up where he talks about how life is divided up into the miserable and the terrible. Oh yeah, that's one of my quotes too. Yeah. It's, okay, yeah. it's a great like. It, it's a harsh outlook on life, but I think it was actually pretty poignant. Maybe it was it was like very nihilistic. It was like it was like very nihilistic. Nihilist. It was very niche, you know, or Nietzsche, however you say that. But niche. Nietzsche. Nietzsche. You don't speak because of Friedrich Nietzsche. Name the movie. Name the movie. I know it. Don't tell me. Uh, Transformers. No. <laughs> is it like it's That's like camshaft? Oh, isn't it? Yep, yep, yep. You got it. Two thousand six. There's yeah. a hint. It's the girl, Allison. Breslin. Abigail Breslin is in the film, but she's a little bit sunshine. It is. It's Steve Carell to Paul Dano when he's not. Yeah, Yeah. you don't speak because of Friedrich Nietzsche. Okay, but it is very niche. You know. We also get a. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was. I was just gonna say. Um, it kind of portrays him just stereotyping everyone he sees and and all of humanity to to maintain this to fit into two categories of pessimism yeah so that he can remain on top it's an egotistical thing Mm. what are what are you what am i i'm i'm a a worm (laughs) 
I'm a little boy and I'm like a pig. I like to <laughs> no, like I as you could probably tell by knowing me, I'm like the biggest fucking optimist in the world. Like yeah, I'm, my outlook on life is so positive. I'm very cynical by nature, but also I I know that life is more dynamic than. So you're a realist. I'm a, I I just think you can't put a label on anything. There's mm. there's no label that can fit all of humanity and all all of different cultures, and, and there's just. I feel like you get stuck. Like you get stuck here in Montana, and you could put label labels on how you feel being here in Montana, but Don't. that doesn't apply to how you feel. I want you right now, black or white, optimist or pessimist. Uh, uh, uh I'm a racist, so white. <laughs> <laughs> black or white, so pessimist. Okay. No, I'm kidding. Uh, um, well, still maybe it's, pessimist. It's but. just way too gray. I think the only way, the only universal term to describe all of life in the universe is rootin' tootin'. He's <laughs> right. God damn it, he's right. <laughs> you've said some stupid shit before, but by God, that's the best shit you've ever said in your life. <laughs> that you are rootin', even a stop clock is right twice a day, and boy, this is that time. <laughs> Woody from Toy Story said it best. I'm a rootin', tootin' cowboy from the wild, wild west. <laughs> Woody's Roundup. And that's exactly right. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> um, Al- Annie is about to move in with Alvy. They kind of proposed mm-hmm. this idea, but now Alvy's a bit hesitant because, like, he's totally fine with her moving in and then being in a relationship and all this, but he's afraid of her getting rid of her apartment because her apartment, as he says, has been like a life raft for them, like a just in case. Yeah. Which actually is a fair metaphor. Yeah, and it, well, it plays into what you said about him just kind of never being committed to the relationship. So I, I, I think that. And I mean, moving in is a big deal. I mean, not everybody moves in with somebody immediately, but yeah, it's a step for sure. A step he's not all the way comfortable with, without a, at least a life preserver. Which actually, all three of us have have moved in with a partner very early on in a relationship. And all you- one of us. One of one has worked. No, none of it has worked. What about? What are you talking about? You and Marina waited forever. Are you kidding me? What do you? I mean, I technically lived with. No, but you had your own apartment, your own place where you lived. That's what I was. That's what I'm saying is like, but I lived at Marina's fucking place with Kalina for months on end. I would just come home from time to time to visit Lucas, and we would hang out. Sundays were for the boys. We would <laughs> order dominoes and we would watch football. In but our underwear. In our underwear with blankets. We were the blanket boys. Yeah, but, but you weren't like on a lease, you know? I mean, I guess that's true, but I mean, I I, I still think I basically, and Marina will say, you lived with me. Like, I had all my clothes there. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Well, okay, one-third success rate, <laughs> 33%. Yes, right. And oh, 25 with uh, Annie Hall. Oh, shit, yeah. Bring those numbers down. Really got to bring in the fictional characters <laughs> to bump those stats. But, yeah, so he is hesitant about it, and, like, but it's okay. They they, they, they live together. They they do move in. and They have some start, start of some sexual problems. Yes, they argue about smoking weed before sex. It's finally come up, and it becomes very meta again as he, he says that he feels she's removed from their time together. With their intimate time, yeah. Yes, and then a... A ghost-like figure, I guess. Her her soul, her soul her being. walks out of her body and gets out of bed while her physical manifestation of herself is in bed with Alvy. Yeah. Well, I don't know if have you ever. I'm Lucas. You 
disassociation. Have you ever felt disassociation? Sure, yeah. That is literally exactly... Yeah, you're like a third-person view, yeah. Yeah, there was a very obvious plan. Have you ever sat in a crowd of people and looked at somebody from across the room and tried to teleport your soul into their body and think that maybe you're living multiple lives at once, but you're only (laughs) occupying this one body at this time? And that if you try hard enough, you can transport to China and live another life? Because I've had this thought since ninth grade. <laughs> I'm a very optimist, existential person, okay? Do you also like trains? I love trains. Uh, I know you do. I, I have a train set right there. And fidget spinners. I love fidget spinners. And what else? Roblox. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what Roblox are. It's like a, like an like internet thing. Hmm. Do you like spinners? Do you like spectrum media? <laughs> are, are you saying that I might be part autistic? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anything's possible, I guess. I, I'm, I think I am. I think everybody's a part of the spectrum. Well, yeah. yeah. But, yes, this is a great es- example of disassociation. Yeah, it's, yes. it's very, it's kind of ham-fisted, but it's like very kind of obviously. I don't know if it was the DSM, the, it's called DSM, there's different editions of it, but but they highlight all of the mental illnesses and mm-hmm. symptoms i'm not sure if disassociation was i'm sure it is or at least a symptom of greater ones yeah, yeah. the 70s was that or maybe yeah like it's an early representation of it at least yeah, it's a very strong feeling like when you're like in a traumatic event you feel like you are watching yourself yeah it's like and this connection from and i think i think that the, you you're saying that it's hand and whatnot but i think it's kind of great because I mean, there could be some part of the population, myself included, that have never experienced this kind of thing. Where for somebody that has experienced it, it's like, oh yeah, of course, this is exactly what it feels like. Yeah. But for somebody else, that physical representation is nice for them. Yeah, and that's you heard me say, "Wow!" When when mm-hmm. that happened, mm-hmm. I didn't expect that to be be on screen. Exactly. Yeah, and the the crux of their whole argument too, I think, is like a fair one with no clear like winner or loser because she says she has to she can only make love when she's high because it relaxes her and she can't like do it unrelaxed, which I think is a fair point if she's like high strung and super nervous. But he also says that it doesn't work in his favor because like then it's like having sex with a disassociated person or whatever. Yeah, they're they're both equal arguments. Yeah. Um, personally, I think if someone has to have sex with you, the only if the only way someone will have sex with you while is while they're under the influence of drugs, it's because they don't want to have sex with you. That's part. I, of I it. guess that's yeah. fair. Yeah. <laughs> Which maybe shows her tentativeness towards him. Well, and also if she's disassociating. <laughs> you, that's also. A- but yeah, but she had a lot going on under the hood. Yeah. With all, yeah. And junk in the trunk. Him under her hood. Yeah. Oh, so now we move on, and there's some stand-up scenes from Alvi. Once again, just fucking killing it in Wisconsin. Yeah, all about philosophy and depression and cheating on finals <laughs> and shit. It's oh, gr- producing a mahjong tile. Yeah, it's it, it, it. A lot of it went over our that, head, but I did laugh. Did you did you record the quote of the metaphysics one, the metaphysics joke? Because that's a great joke he had. Oh, it was something like, he I, said, I had a metaphysics final. I did not of, put it yeah, in. I, got, I failed because I cheated. I looked at my friend's John's soul. Yeah, I looked at the soul of the kid next to me. <laughs> it's, that's a, it's a great. And like like we said, a lot of the jokes went over our head, but they were. I still laughed at them. And now it's Easter. And they're Easter with Annie's family, actually. Yeah, because she's from Wisconsin. So yeah. That's why he played in the Wisconsin. And Grammy Hall. <laughs> 
And yeah. at the dinner table, Grammy Hall is staring daggers at him. She's just an astounded racist. And this is where we have the one scene where he is dressed as the stereotypical unorthodox Jewish person. I don't know how I didn't realize this. Because <laughs> it, I, was, it, was, it was like it was two like seconds. Scene, yeah. If you blinked, oh. you missed it. It was oh, like yeah. it was like it was like how she views Alvy sitting at their table. Yeah, yeah, so he's sitting normally. He looks over at her. She's staring at him. Then it pans back to him, and he's in the unorthodox Jewish stereotypical outfit. And then it's done. Like that was it. I like a Hasidic Jew. Yeah. And uh, well, and then with this dinner scene, they're like, "How do you guys do dinner? Like at your family?" The fourth Alvy. wall break. Yeah, where we get another simultaneous dinner scene sliding in. To dom or to yeah, this is good. Where it's not just one screen. scene. They sh- yeah share the screen. Yeah, but they still talk back and forth to each other too. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Alvy's family and Annie's family. But I did that quite a few times with, with the, the therapy. The therapy. Yeah. The analysis. The analysis. And Alvy reflects on how civilized and American her family is compared to his, and they're just ah fucking <laughs> the super super Jewish. The, the colored lady stole my money. Yeah. Um. And now it's after dinner, and Alvy's walking around, and Annie's brother, Duane, wants to discuss something with Alvy. He's got a confession to make. He's like, I know you're an artist, so I have to confess something to you, sure. But now looking at it, why did he need to have somebody that's an artist? (laughs) He's like, the conversation is really dark. He's He's like, Sometimes when I drive at night and I see the headlights coming on, I think about murdering myself in a head-on collision and steering into like that was it. With like it's like flaming fires and the oil from the car burning <laughs> like off my the skin. Call of the void or that is yeah, yeah you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah yeah another what is that Freudian idea? It is ne- no I, I think, think it's Nietzschean. It, I think it, for, well the. Yeah. I think it's Nietzsche. It's, I think it's Nietzsche. If you stare too long into the void, it stares back at you. Yeah, and he's like, all right, I need to leave, and then this immediate cut to <laughs> Alvy and Annie in the car. At night, while Duane is driving, and it pans to Duane just staring into the dark abyss, Annie in the back seat in the middle just smiling, and <laughs> Alvy sitting in the passenger seat just hugging himself, praying for life. This is the only time in life that I think he wasn't afraid of death because it was real to him. Yeah. It, it was super funny, too, uh, when he left, when Duane said all that. He's like, yeah, I want to kill myself and all this, and... Uh, what, or Alvy was just like, "All right, Dwayne, I'm due back on planet Earth." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then immediately he, he yeah. immediately calls him out, which is played by Christopher Walken. Small role, but and now Alvy and Annie are arguing about. You get a flash forward to their current relationship. Yeah, it's a, about an imbalance of intelligence in their relationship, or at least how she sees it. Alvy and Annie are arguing about him following her, kind of spying on That's her. That's part of it. Yeah, since her arms were around a college professor. Apparently, but Alvy told her he wanted to keep the relationship flexible, which may lead to him not being completely committed in this whole thing. And, and, and it's like also about because they do a little flashback too about how she doesn't think he's she's smart enough for him, and how he's like, oh, that's ridiculous. Which is a callback to their inner monologues earlier. Yeah. And, and he was the one who signed her up for these adult adult education classes. Yeah. And now Annie has come back from her first analysis session. And it's just opening up to Alvy. And the therapy session got really deep into her dreams about Frank Sinatra suffocating her. But he was wearing glasses and he was short and had a high-pitched voice, which really just resembles Alvy himself and how he might be suffering her and suffocating her in a relationship. And it might be not stable. And he breaks the fourth wall again. Is this the animation scene? Not yet. Okay. So describe it then. I, I don't have notes on it. How's oh, it? It, it actually it does turn in there because then I put Alvy and Annie are breaking up like they have this big fight and it looks like they are breaking up and he's 
because this was after the tax and he asked all the people on the street just how to make a relationship work and they were just two like dim-witted model looking people that were like i don't think of anything i'm the exact same way so it's throwing that love you can't think about love or whatnot it's just and one man and his wife had a big large vibrating egg (laughs) they're they're very into sex toys but yes now it this is probably the most medicine of them all where the style changes to an animated Sleeping Beauty scene, mm-hmm. which he said was Snow White, but this was clearly Maleficent in there. Mm-hmm. Was it not? Or what? Or was it? I the, think it was Snow White. Yeah. Or was yeah. it the witch from Snow White? Or the evil queen from Snow White? I think it was the evil queen from okay, Snow White. never mind. I thought it was Maleficent. But yeah, she's. it changes complete styles where he is some, he looks like himself. And Annie is voicing Maleficent, and he's always said that he goes for the the evil queen and not the princess. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he, and since they're now broken up, he gets another date. Yeah, new, Shelley Duvall gets set up by Rob. Yeah, was she super religious? What was her? No, she was a she loved Bob Dylan. That was her thing. Oh, it was Bob Dylan. Yeah, because she was a writer for the Rolling Stone. And she had all these things about how everyone worships Bob Dylan. And has she had remember she had that Bob Dylan song where he's like she she loves like a woman, she looks like a woman, but she breaks like a little girl. So I think I missed all of this because mm. I just got into it when he said some big word. I was probably just typing away at about the Sleeping Beauty scene. And I was like, oh, she's a religious bitch or something. Oh no, she yeah, she's crazy into Bob Dylan. Okay, which he sort of resents because I guess back then Bob Dylan was sort of seen as like the hip. Hipster, hipster poet, you know, like, uh, and he hates hipsters. That's one of my best impressions, but it's so easy. <laughs> like a Rolling Stone, like a Rolling Stone. And now she, she also takes forever to orgasm. Yeah, his jaw just, hurts. <laughs> jaw hurts. Yeah. Also, like, was she sitting on his face or what? I don't know. That probably had to have been it. Probably just going down on her. Either way, his jar, it was it was some eating out for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. And after having sex with her, he gets a call from somebody. You don't know who it is, but you imply that it's Annie about an emergency. And he says he's going to run to help. And he gets, he shows up, it is Annie. And the emergency is there's a spider in her bathroom. But this whole spider scene was is hilarious. It's great. It's hilarious. There, there are actually two spiders of the size of Buicks or whatnot. He's like, you should always keep Raid in your closet. He's going to use the tennis racket from earlier. But yeah. he's super scared, actually, deep down. But and then there's also the subtext of like, he's like, you didn't call your rocker boyfriend or whatever. You called yeah. me, and she is like, so why don't you have him do it? And she's like, I called you. I need you here. And so there's like, there's like so many layers going on. There's like the funny layer of there's a spider there. There's like the codependent layer that they both need each other, but they're trying not to show it. And there's like the, all they miss the each call other. call back to tennis. Yeah. She also offers him chocolate milk. Yeah. Which I don't know what that's a call to, but I just liked his, it. His childness. His childness. Yeah. And he does kill the spider. And now he goes to Annie in her room and she's crying. And she doesn't want him to go because she misses him. They kiss. They spend the night together. And Annie says she, they should never break up again. And this is where you went pee. We analyzed that scene with them sitting on the bed where you're like, look at them in the frame. They're so small in context to the whole frame. And it's like, well, look at the light from the lamp. As it diminishes, the peak of the light stops right at Alvi's hip where they meet together. Where it's a mm. representation of how the light at the end of the tunnel does not reach that. And we... Just impeccably framed. We right? went, we went into huge, oh, yeah, impeccably. And so they're together again, and Alvy and Rob take Annie to show him 
Alvy's old neighborhood at the roller coaster and meet like his a, family. Like a fun romantic sort of week, yeah. But it is it's very meta as they watch the scenes of his life and family from a party in nineteen forty five. Yeah, a coming home party for one of his cousins yeah. in the war. And they're happy as ever now. He gives her presents on her birthday, like one gag gift of lingerie and a real gift, and her singing at gigs that are going much better, and there's a full musical number of her singing. Yeah. Goosebumps. I okay. I, this may be a mean thing to say, but I think her voice is infuriating when she sings. <laughs> really? Really? She doesn't hold a note. It's very. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think it's called heavy vibrato. on the vibrato. Yeah, the, not just heavy on the. She only does vibrato. <laughs> she never holds a note. Yeah, and some people can't. You know, I've I've known some people that their vibrato is vibrato, and you can't really change it. It's super quick or super. If it's super, it's rough because like. Uh, a little bit of that, yeah. But, you know, you can't... I, I, yeah, that aside, I thought she was a good singer, too. I and I think the import, there's a couple of important parts about this scene. Like, first, it gave me goosebumps. I don't know if it gave any of you guys goosebumps. Yep. Yeah. Second, it the song she's singing is exactly the theme of the movie at that time, where she's like, we got back together. It's just like old times. The lyrics are clearly directed towards her. And once again, she looks into the camera, like as if she's yeah. looking at Alvi. Although, yet again... He is not seen in the audience. Like he's absent from her there, a hundred percent. And it's and it's like a like she's happy when she's singing it. Obviously, that's the reason she picked it, and she's happy to be back with Alvy. But it's still like a sad undertone and prediction of the rest of the movie because it's like it's not like it seems like I'm in love. Like it seems like it's old times. You know, like back how it used to be. Like we're recreating how we, how we once were loved. And if it's like old times, it's going to end like old times in a breakup. Yeah. And, and then my yeah. last, and then my last note of this scene is I put that this is like this scene in particular I think is like the real heart of this movie, you know, like the real emotional punch you get when she's in the club because it's like got all this like extra psychotherapy and analysis and references to politics and science and everything else, but like you strip all that all that sort of like not like bullshit but it's kind of bullshit away then this movie at its heart is this like love story between these two. And doesn't need all the rest of the funny quips and everything. It's just a beautiful Except love story. Except for the lobsters. Yeah, well, that's part of it, yeah. <laughs> and after her set, she's done some... I don't know who he was supposed to be at the time, but some famous person who is played by Paul Simon. He's like a record label guy. Yeah, comes up to Annie, invites her to a party afterwards, and he has... What is my note? He has her turn the invite... Oh, Alvy has her turn the invite down because of, in quotes, the thing, which is really just... Him not wanting to go to the party. Yeah. Caesar, did you get back up on this couch? You're going to get so grumpy again. Oh, we'll let him stay. And uh, he has her turn the party down. And now you get what you had alluded to earlier. The simultaneous therapy scenes. Where you have a cut in the middle of the frame. With two separate scenes going on at once. Yes. Um, they were both kind of just agreeing with each other. Except in different terms. Like they weren't having sex as often as they were they well, it, think their relationship yeah was going well. I, that was a funny moment too because he's like we have sex all we have sex all the time she says like three times a week and he's like we barely have sex we have it three times a week it, it, I, and that's my point is they have this the same questions and relatively the same answers but their outlook on the answers are different it yeah. just shows their in, sort of like incompatibility key, exactly at their core they're really incompatible as much as they want to be compatible yeah and now they're at some party and Alvy just tried cocaine for the first... This is where he sneezed and the stash away and whatever. Yeah. yeah. He just takes... 
probably this I don't I guess I don't know the size of cocaine hits but the smallest bump just on his finger yeah. and sneezes it all away which apparently was unscripted which is great also bullshit Woody Allen you definitely did coke before this. yeah for sure <laughs> and now they're in California together for Christmas so Alvy can hand out an award at an award show and then in LA he gets nauseous and dizzy while watching Rob's TV show on set he's kind of nauseated maybe literally, but also figuratively about the way TV is developing and about mm-hmm. how he's a comedian and how there are laugh tracks, which you fucking hate, Devin. I hate laugh tracks. <laughs> so Even on Seinfeld? <laughs> I guess the, that's a live studio audience, I guess, so that doesn't really count. Filled in front of a live studio audience. The worst was How I Met Your Mother, who had the same laugh track, and every once every episode, you'd get the super hard laugh of the guy going, ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> how, I, how I Met Your Mother is bad, but I will raise you one and give you Big Bang Theory's laugh track. Oh, yeah. If, if you have the chance, look up on YouTube, Big Bang Theory without, without laugh track. Oh. They it's like it's infuriating when they wait for the laughing to stop before they continue with make a joke. Yeah. Which is something we brought up in Merry Christmas Drake and Josh, where we thought like Kimbo Slice was the best actor because in the yeah. movie version of Drake and Josh there was no laugh track, but unlike the, sh- the TV, like in the show, everybody played their jokes and paused waiting for a laugh track. Because it's the Drake and Josh style, yeah. While the athlete, Kimbo Slice, that was in there for just a cameo, just delivered his lines like they were yeah. lines. Yeah. There's a style to it. Yeah, well, style might be a little <laughs> word. But speaking of style, look at that segue here. Yeah. The style of the scenes in California are so different than the ones in in uh, New York because... They're very bright. They're yeah, very the sun is shining off of everything. It's kind of wide shot. And it's also sort of like artificial, too. There's mm-hmm. lots of like hot dog stands and commercialism and stuff like that going on. And... Uh, he gets so nauseous that he can't give out the award that night. And the guy from that gig, the record label person, Paul Simon, is at the party that they're at now that Robin invited them It's his party. It is his party in California. And they're trying to, he's trying to get Annie to come out to LA to have Annie work with him and record an album. And, you know, she's thinking about it. And on a plane ride back to New York City, they are both sitting next to each other, not speaking, but their thoughts are audible. The inner monologue, yeah. They both feel like breaking up, but don't want to say it. And then they finally talk on the plane and they're now breaking up. But it is very amicable, and they think they should get, they could get back together if they want to. She's gonna move to LA while he stays in New York City. They're both, they're like, we are so mature about this. Good, good on us. Yeah, and now Alvy has a new girl in his life, and he's trying to make lobsters with her. Yeah, this was a heartbreaking scene. This wasn't scene it? hurt so yeah. bad. When he's. When he's obviously very clearly just trying to recreate the memories he's had with Annie, he has the lobsters at the same cabin, and he's like, oh, it's going to get you, oh no. And she's just like, "Like, what are you doing? <sighs> and then she doesn't get his joke either. Which is the exact callback to that movie that I can't remember what it is, because they do the lobster scene twice. Either forgetting Sarah Marshall or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it has Jason Segal, but... They usually do. It hurts. It just isn't the same anymore. And Alvy misses Annie and is going to go to L.A. to get her. I put I put sad Woody Allen noises. <laughs> and I think because he, he remember he goes to the he also goes to the bridge where they had their big romantic kiss where mm. she says I love you and he says I love you and yep. stuff. And he goes there alone all sad. Well, he meet, he goes to L.A. and he meets her at a restaurant and proposes they get married. And she's very happy in L.A. and does not want to move back with him to New York City. She just wants to remain friends. And a frustrated Annie leaves and as Alvy leaves, he hits like three cars and some trash cans. Gets and arrested. He, he gets arrested, 
And because he's a, a neurotic New York driver, he doesn't not a drive. Yeah, and so I now think this was the worst scene of the movie right here. I do. <laughs> I, I probably think so too. Yeah. I would he, agree. Where he bangs into the cars. Yeah, I think it was it was really sloppy. And yeah. now Alvi's back in New York City. You don't know that yet, but you just see two actors in a play, and it's basically an exaggerated telling of his time with Annie, with except with them ending up together. It's yeah. the exact scene that you we just watched. In L.A. at their restaurant. It's an alternate ending where he gets Annie Hall. Alvy is a writer of this play. And there's a fourth wall break again as Alvy says he saw Annie once more when she moved back to New York City. They got dinner and remained friends. And there's just a bunch of flashbacks of their old times together while she sings. He was so grateful of the times times they had together. Yeah. And that's that's how the movie ends. Is him grateful for their time but not spending it together. Uh, Devin, are you okay? No, this is such a sad ending. Did you cry? No. Lucas, did you cry? Oh, a little bit. I was so fucking close to crying. You're so close. I was so fucking close to crying. Oh my god. To crying. <laughs> That's what I used to say. Look, baby Brandon is crying, and my uncle who would babysit me would be like, but why are you crying? Baby Brandon is crying. Why are you crying, Brandon? And I would never give him an answer. <laughs> Goddamn right, he didn't deserve a fucking answer. But with that, with the end of the movie, you know what fucking time it is. <laughs> Bitches. You are extremely sexy, unbelievably sexy. Yes, you are. Because you know what you are? You're you're polymorphously perverse. What does that mean? I don't know what that is. Uh, you're you're exceptional in bed because you got you get pleasure in every part of your body when I touch it. You know what I mean? Like the tip of your nose, and if I stroke your teeth or your kneecaps, you suddenly get excited. <laughs> Let's fucking do it. Thank you, Devin. Of course. Um, quotes. How many do we have? I have like three, I think. I thought this was a very quotable film. I th- it was a very quotable. I think I probably got close to ten. Probably close to 10. I have 12. It was very quotable. There's just so many lines, just a sheer volume of lines. Yes. It's going to be quotable by nature. Devin, do you have three? I have three. You should do your three, and Lucas and I will each do half and go back and forth. Okay. For my first, I have um, right at the beginning when he um, is in his like elementary school class, they go around and they're like, what are you guys doing now? And one of them says, I used to be a heroin addict. Now I'm a methadone addict. <laughs> I thought that was powerful. Now, that, is, that is one of my quotes, yeah. I aspire. I used to be a heroin addict, and now I'm a methadone addict. Yeah, methadone addict. And uh, my second one is when he's waiting for his second wife to get to the movies. Um, he calls, or she gets there, and he's like, I've been standing with these two guys named Cheech. <laughs> yeah, the Teamsters, the cast of The Godfather. Yeah. That's his third wife? That is Annie. I'm so sorry. Did it get married? I Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Never mind. And last... I've so Devin's still wrong. Yeah. The most important thing. What about it? <laughs> What's new, right? Um, my last one. I don't remember where I got this one, but... What did you do? Grew up in a Norman Rockwell painting? Yeah, I don't know where the fuck that's from. <laughs> oh, that's because she, she told him that she has a Grammy Hall. He says, oh, Gram- oh, yeah, Grammy, Grammy Hall. Hall. What did you grow up in a Roman Rockwell painting? All right. That's that's Devin's end. You've got <laughs> you've got 
do five of them if he didn't steal any ears? Sure. This one's kind of not a quote. It's just the very beginning when he's telling the Groucho Marx joke and it sort of sets across the theme of the movie where he says that he wouldn't want to be a member of any club that would have him for a member, which means like any girl that would accept him inherently then is too fucked up to date. And that's sort of like how she is with him too. Yeah. Playing off the insecurities. I can't find love if someone is, if this person is willing to love me. Yeah. Okay. That was that was very deep. <laughs> I have um, some deep ones. Don't worry. Yeah. One I have here from when he's a little kid. He said, "The universe mm. is expanding and it's going to tear apart." <laughs> um, I had the heroin addict, and now I'm a methadone addict. One. Can I can I end that? Is a, another character ends it with another school children after a school a, a child says, "I'm now into leather." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was. She was, as it turned out. Yeah. No, we didn't see that. No. Um, I have another one um, from Annie's theater acting boyfriend who said, like, how would I like to die? I'd like to be torn apart by wild animals. And then Woody Allen says, oh, yeah, look at you getting eaten by squirrels. <laughs> Heavy. <laughs> eaten by squirrels. <laughs> um, should I do another one? Yeah, do one more. Um, when Annie first drove them for the first time and drove wildly, she parked the car. And Woody Allen's like, oh, I guess we can walk to the curb from here. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, okay, I'm going to skip this one because I know you have it. So my first one is the therapist scene where the both of the therapists say, like, how often do you sleep together? And do you have sex often? And Alvy responds, hardly ever, maybe three times a week. And Annie Hall replies, constantly, I'd say three times a week. The the difference between man and woman. The dichotomy. Yeah, and libido. Um, um, next, I have one from Jesus Caesar. Quit going hard on your junk. Yeah. Next, I have one from Alvy, and he goes, Oh, stop it. You're having an affair with your college professor. That jerk teaches incredible crap course, contemporary crisis in Western men. And she goes, Um, existential motifs in Russian literature? You're really close. And he goes, What's the difference? It's all mental masturbation. She goes, Oh, well, now we're finally getting to a subject you know something about. And he goes, Hey, don't knock masturbation. It's sex with someone I love. <laughs> The only person he ever loved, yeah. A great line. It's a great line. Uh, my next one is from Alvi as well. It's a more profound quote. He goes, a relationship, I think, is like a shark, mm, you know? I had this one. It has to constantly move forward or it dies. And I think what we have on our hands is a dead shark. Yep. They stagnated. That's beautiful. Um, I also have from him, from Alvi, I'm not worried about aging. I mean, I'm balding on top, but that's the worst of it. <laughs> And um, I put one from Alvi as well. They're probably all from Alvi. Mostly from Alvi. Those who can't teach, or those who can't do, teach. And those who can't teach, teach Jim. Yeah. Which is a, a, a phrase that's been parroted, I think, since... So many times. Yeah. Go My for turn? it. Okay. Um, when they were talking about Grammy Hall, she said, oh, Grammy Hall gave me this when I was a, ki- a kid. And Alvi's like, presents? Like, my Grammy, my grandma was getting raped by Cossacks. <laughs> About this time. Yeah, I don't know what Cossacks are, it's, but it's a it's a Russian mounted unit in the military. So like Russian implying unit. like they were raped by they were like Lithuanian or something and got okay. raped. Yeah. Um another Grammy Hall anti Semitic thing. Um this is actually is from Annie. She says, You're what Grammy Hall would call a real Jew. <laughs> and she hates Jews. Um I have another one, another serious one when they're talking and he asks her Annie, Good boy, Alvi asks Annie if he loves, if she loves him. It's a lot of pronouns to get right there. If she loves him, 
And she says, yeah, yeah, I think I do. Yeah, of course. Like, what about you? And he says, love is too weak a word. I loaf you. I larf you. I loathe you. Which is right. He doesn't say I love you. But I thought it was like a great way of like, yeah, I like love. It's, two, I, two Fs. Yeah. I love you. I, I love you more than the word love. Love. Keep going. Keep going. Finish them off. Whatever you have. Okay. Um, this is from Shelley Duvall after having sex with. Alvi, she says, sex with you is like a Kafka-esque experience, which means Kafka is like the guy who wrote the metamorphosis mm-hmm. and the fly and stuff. So mm-hmm. she's she's saying it's like a insectual, like an insect experience. Well, very uh, transcendental experience. Yeah, because right? like metamorphosis, right? Well, I think Kafka-esque is a little different. That just means like Kafka. Characteristic or rem reminiscent of oppressive or nightmarish qualities yeah yeah oh it's a bad thing yes um i have another one (laughs) it was was alvi's old aunt who was like old wrinkled old jewish lady and she said yeah back in my day i was like a real charmer and he goes oh tessie moskovitz the beauty of the ghetto (laughs) (laughs) he's just roasting people left and right yep i've got the dead shark one there's that and I think I've got... Well, this one's not a quote. I think just think we should talk about it. Was Rob about to bang two 16-year-old girls at the end of the movie? Did you guys remember that? When, no. When he called her to... When Alvy called Rob oh. to come bail him out of prison, he's like, Max, you know what I was into? Oh. Twin 16-year-old girls, Max. Yeah, he was about to bang two 16-year-olds. Why put that in the script, Woody? Yeah, that probably didn't need to be in there. And then my very last one is We Need the Eggs. A very poignant part because he makes this metaphor about how relationships are crazy and they don't make any sense and they put you through hell, but we need them anyways. Yep, I have I have the whole quote, so yeah. I'll 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 say that Go one. Go ahead, and I'll give you my interpretation. Of yeah, it. Um, my last ones are maybe you should call the police. Call nine one one. It's the Lobster Squad. <laughs> um, I have one with from the flashback of Annie's relationships with that that guy that you said yeah. the the squirrel eating. He says, touch my heart with your foot. <laughs> that is nauseating. He's basically Jared Leto. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And then I have uh, this this one that we talked about. I have a very pessimistic view on life. I think life is split into two categories, the horrible and the miserable. So be happy if you are miserable because the horrible was like, People that are crippled and people that have, like, cancer and blind. So if you're just miserable, you're in the upper echelon of life. Be grateful. I have, after he's he's asked to go to the party with Paul Simon that first time, and he goes, what do we need other people for? We should stay home and play the the hide the salam together. (laughs) (laughs) I love hide the salam. Hide the salam together. What is a salam? Like a salami salami stick. His his penis. And my last quote is, it reminds me of that old joke, you know? A guy walks into the psychiatrist's office and says, hey, doc, my brother's crazy. He's He thinks he's a chicken. Then the doc says, why don't you turn him in? And he goes, then the guy says, I would, I would, but I need the eggs. I guess that's how I feel about relationships. They're totally crazy, irrational, and absurd. But we keep going through it because we need the eggs. Hmm. Yeah, and my interpretation of this, if if we're open to it, yeah, is that we need love, even if love is delusional, 
it still offers hope and we still need hope and love in our life to continue forward, even for as pessimistic and depressed a guy as Woody Allen in the 1970s. This is what made me cry. Yeah, exactly. Such a better, so much a better ending than the flash mob where, where Justin Timberlake gets together with Mila Kunis. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm very sure. Are you sure you're sure? (laughs) I'm sure, I'm sure. And, Brandon is into the bathroom, so me and it's dad's out of the out of the room, oh, so the kids yeah. time to play. <laughs> That's Brandon's job. Oh shit! Yes. <laughs> Everyone, uh, talk about social justice. Yes, he would never do that. Yeah, exactly. Martin Luther King, we love that guy. <laughs> he would hit us if he heard us saying that, for sure. So did he finish his quotes? I think yeah, he did finish his quotes. Now we're on to the ratings part of it. The ratings and reviews. All right, give me your your. Uh, well, we do that at the end. Give me well. Give me what you think. What I think it is. Okay. Like overall, what do you think people rated this? For Rotten Tomato meter, I'm going to guess this. It is an Oscar winner. I'm going to guess a 93% on Rotten Tomato. Devin, what is your guess for the Rotten Tomato? My for the Rotten Tomato. Are we doing critic or audience? Critic. Critic. Um, I'm going to go a little lower. I'm going to go 72. Ooh, you only think. Only three quarters of critics liked this movie. Which uh, it? No, I think a majority of them liked it. Three quarters liked mm. it, like seventy-five percent. I'm gonna go seventy-two percent. Which is fair because I've seen a lot of Oscar winners have like seventies before, like you know, a the critic- more divisive ones. Yeah, for sure. And I heard you guys fucking roasting me while I was peeing, <laughs> you assholes. Um, so you guys did tomato meter. Yeah. And what did you say? 92? 93. 93, 72? Yeah, 72. This comes in at a 96%. Oh, yeah. So isn't the way that the t- critics' tomato meter is, if you like it... Jesus. Brandon, did you shake that bad boy? No. I did crawl with it, though. Did you um already <laughs> drink your three? Mm-hmm. You're trying to catch up, aren't you? Well, not catch up, but... Go ahead, Lucas, now. Uh, isn't it the tomato meter, like, if 10 out of 10 critics liked it... Not like gave it a score, but just like liked it more and they didn't like it or gave it a fresh positive review, then that, that would be like a hundred percent tomato meter, wouldn't it? I don't, yeah, I don't know how tomato meter actually works. I think that's how it works. Oh, if that's the case, I would have gone 96%. Now, now, <laughs> I didn't realize it was such a binary system. Me, now, Metacritic, I think that's how it is. now, Metacritic is an average of everybody zero to 100. That's, yeah, uh, for sure. Well, we didn't do the audience score, yes. Yeah, so let's go to audience score. What do you think audience mm. has thought of this? So, is audience binary as well? I think so, yeah. Okay, so, um, I'm gonna go like. Uh, I think like 87%. I was going to say 88%. Yeah. It's a 92. 92. And now usually with bad movies, like the audience score is higher because they're not as harsh as critics are. But when it's higher, audiences, especially with something like this where it's very meta, I don't think audiences will be as apt as somebody that's analyzing the view from a critic standpoint. So that's pretty tough with something that's different than what we've well, done previously. I think, I think uh, audience are more critical because like if they're going to review something they try and be hypercritical to a point to a fault yeah, yeah. that's true want to act they want to have validity where they really don't sure so they try and be hypercritical and have opinions that are polarized yeah sure we're on to imdb this is straight average okay meta score uh for critics i'm saying going back 72 okay 89 92. Ooh. Critics love this film. Makes sense. And how about an audience out of 10? Out of 10, um, 8.1. 
Ah, You You were so close. You fucking racist. (laughs) What What the fuck? So we've got an 80, a 92, a 92, and a 96. That's a high rating. Compared to our previous films, very, very high. Very high. I'm trying to think what our previous, like, highest rated one would be. It's got to be one of the Transformers. No, it is not. Friends with Benefits is up between both Critic or, and... Um, maybe it's the Hot San- Rod? No, Hot Rod got... Hot Rod got low. The Santa yeah. Claus? The Santa Claus had pretty high. I think that was in like the 60s. It was in the 60s. So was Friends with Benefits. Wait, so the Santa Claus was older than this film? No. no. Santa Claus was 1995. 20, oh, 20 years after. The 60% is not the 60s. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah, crazy yeah, yeah. how much better made this movie was in a movie made 20 years after it. Yeah. That is very true. And now it's into review time. Um, we didn't give our ratings. Oh, yeah. Give your ratings. L- Lucas, you're the Woody Allen expert The here. Woody Allen file. Give it a 1 out of 13, John Lewis. <laughs> uh, no, please don't. It's going to be so hard to compute and compare <laughs> as a prime number. A 10, John Lewis. Yeah, there yes, we go. Our normal lasagna scale. This is a beloved classic and... It is a 9.7 in my my esteemed view. Fuck. Wait, what did you say? 9.7. 9.7? So 9.7. 9.7. And I imagine it could be a 9.9 or maybe even the elusive 10.0 if I would just understand a lot of the, the psych, psychotherapy references. But yeah, it's beautiful. It's funny. It's everything you could dream And you're about. the only person here who's seen this film before. Yeah, exactly. Devin. You're not a rom-com fan. I'm not a rom-com fan. You're not really an old movie fan, generally. No, I like old movies. Oh. <laughs> um, I would argue that this is a, a a sloppy fit into the rom-com genre. If if I had to hmm. put my opinion in, it's not, I, I'd say it, it fits into the rom-com. It doesn't. It's not a standard rom-com by any means. Yeah, I, I'd say it's like you fit the circle into the square hole. Because it fits, but not because it's... It goes into the square hole. Yeah. So, I'm going to give it a a little lower than Lucas. I'm going to give it an 8.9 out of We've turned him! That's, pretty, that's awesome. An 8.9? Yeah, an 8.9. Yeah, that's amazing. And if you guys know me, which you probably don't know me that well, I have an IMDb list of my favorite films of all time. I think that's 47 films long. Mm. And this film oh. has made its way onto that really? list. First time viewing, it's on. First time viewing. Um, Let's go! I think it's like a 9.2 for me. This nice. is This is a stellar, stellar film. Yeah. Just the way it's done, the social commentary of it, the kind of primitive view on filmmaking and romantic comedy. It just... It transcends its time. Like you said, it's so much better than films that are made 20, 30, 40, 50 years later than it. So let's give it its props. And with that, let's hear some critic reviews. I've got five. With it being an Oscar nominee, I have to have some short critic oh, ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun-Times says... The GOAT. He said this in 2002. Ooh. The film had, when he watched it again, the film had, in quotes, an instant familiarity despite its age. Mm. Claire Detterer from the Empire Magazine, I think, who is the sister of the lead singer of the the band, the Presidents of the United States of America, who sings... <laughs> oh, that stupid the, song. Uh, 
Going down to Georgia. They're going to eat a lot of peaches. Moving to the country. Yeah. Going to eat a lot of peaches. Marina loves that song. She said, Annie Hall is the greatest comic film of the 20th century because it acknowledges the irrepressible nihilism, Devin, that lurks at the center of all comedy. Mm. Then Joseph McBride of Variety said, Alan's, in quotes, most three-dimensional film to date, end quote, with an ambition equal to Bergman's best, even as the co-stars become the, in quotes, contemporary equivalent of Tracy Hepburn. Tracy Dash Hepburn. Yeah, Dick Tracy. Yes, and Catherine Hepburn. Um, Tim Radford of The Guardian said, Alan's most closely focused and daring film to date. Agree. And then John Simons of New York Magazine said, an unfunny comedy, poor movie making, and embarrassing self-revelation. And wrote that Keaton's performance was, in quotes, in bad taste to watch and indecency to display. Wow, that's your classic Jew hater. John Simons <laughs> hated Diane Keaton that's in the Grammy film. Hall. Yeah, Grammy Hall. That guy only likes the Transformers films. <laughs> Who is that? John Simons? We need to look for New York Magazine reviews oh, on yeah. Transformers now. And all we've got left is some user reviews. Hell yeah. We're going to start with Martin Hafer, a returner, a three-timer. Yes, Hafer, hardly know her. March 22nd, 2006. I think the worst thing that ever happened to Woody Allen's career was the Oscar he won for Annie Hall. While it was a very funny in spots, it just encouraged him to make his movies more and more polished as well as more self-exploratory. I'm sorry, but I much prefer the earlier stupid films he did where self-exploration was limited and they were just funny. Now with Annie Hall and most of his subsequent films, he was trying to say something. Yeah, maybe like I'm finished with good films and now I'll just essentially make the same film again and again and again because it's a great adjunct to all my psychoanalysis. I don't want to explore Woody's psyche. Thank you very much. Just entertain me and make me laugh. Considering how highly rated this film is, I look. it looks like I am indeed in the minority. Mm. 7 out of 10. Um, this guy also only likes the Transformers. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he admits that he doesn't want to be told anything in art. He just wants to laugh and be entertained. Yeah. That, Which is not... This is not the movie for that. Yeah. I mean, I laughed out loud a lot. There are so many movies where it's just comedy, like like uh, Next Door Neighbors, uh, Hangover. Naked Gun. Oh, no, 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 no. Not The hang- the Hangover is a great introspective film. But it's it's a lot more straight comedy than this film. Yes, I would give it that, but don't, don't slight The Hangover. This also might be the only guy in history to prefer Woody Allen's pre-Annie Hall work as his post-Annie Hall. His slapstick comedy rather than a deep-seated meaning to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a rough take, but... Hot. He he at least addresses that he's in the minority. Yeah. And he still gave it a seven. Yeah. Brandon hates minorities. Fuck you! (laughs) (laughs) That's right. My next is by The Little Songbird. Oh, she bad. February 9th, 2014. You already know this is a long one because that's The Little Songbird. She says, Not everybody will love Woody Allen's humor. Some will find him interesting and sharply insightful, while others will find him self-indulgent. With me, it veers very largely towards the former, with some occasions where the latter does creep in. 
Annie Hall is one of his best films, a masterpiece and one of the best, better best picture winners of the 70s, with only the two Godfather films even better. Mm. The best assets are the script and the chemistry between the two leads. The script is enormously witty with cracking dialogue that induces one, and at times more laughs a minute and full of insightful observations. People have deemed it one of the best screenplays of all time, and from personal perspective, there's no reason to argue that. The chemistry between the two leads running somewhat on a parallel between the relationship of Woody Allen and Diane Keaton itself and the actors in general actually is throughout very believable. It is often adorable and often dynamic. The romance is sweet and relatable. The ending for me was really moving, but the story doesn't depend on that alone. Allen also muses over topics that were relevant then and that we can see as relevant today as well. He does so in a very thoughtful and insightful way. Allen directs with assurance, and while there have been more visually audacious Woody Allen films since Annie Hall, it is still cleverly made with the way it's shot. There is no music score, and in this case, that was a good idea. There was some more leeway for the relationship between the two lead characters and observations to speak, and that's the same for the deliberate but never tedious pacing. Overall, an outstanding film, one of Allen's best and one of the greatest films of the 70s. 10 out of 10. Mm. Singing our praise. <laughs> the little songbird. I will point out that she spelled humor, H-U-M-O-U-R. So maybe she's Brit- a British 29-year-old named Bethany Cox, which is putting us closer on the tracks of finding her and getting her on this fucking podcast. And doxing her. <laughs> fucking marrying her. All three of us. <laughs> That's right. Bethany Cox. Brother Husbands, the new TLC show. If you want three husbands. <laughs> I mean, one of them is like 6'4". 6'5". So six six exactly. Six five, You've got a 6'5", a 6'1", and a 5'7", fellow <laughs> suiting you. Together, that's, that's nearly 17 feet, 18 feet of man for you. And could you imagine if we compared our dicks, if we added our dick sizes as well? That's equals one porn star. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> if we added it all together, that's like eight inches. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's like an average. I no, I lo- I love this room. Like once again, it's a little. So- we fucking know what she's about. She's going to dive deep into it. She touched on the cameras, the music, the chemistry, everything yeah. we wanted to. The humor. Yeah, the casting, the, the poignancy of the time yeah. area, exactly. era, not area. That's that's the Annie Hall of reviews right there. Oh. <gasps> The little songbird is the Woody Allen of IMDb review. <laughs> I don't know if she'd want that. No, title. probably not. <laughs> My next one is by Tom Laws, September 12th, 2021. Recently. The day after 9-11. Yeah, but last year. But he, was, he had some thoughts on his mind. <laughs> yeah. He says, unwatchable. This thing will give your brain a Charlie horse that you need to rub away. Three out of ten. He still had 9-11 on the mind. <laughs> he did, yeah. <laughs> he just couldn't get over it. He's like, oh, yesterday with 9-11? You know what? I need to review Annie Hall. <laughs> it's it's time. I've waited long enough. <laughs> I mean, that review sort of makes sense a little bit, too. If you aren't into the whole dialogue-heavy introspective style, then I can see it giving you a headache. It It is an acquired taste. It's a lot. So of- why watch it? Why watch all our interviews? Maybe he's a cinephile. and was. If he's a cinephile, then... He should have enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true. Maybe some friend recommended it. Like, yeah. this is the best movie ever. A pure style one, though. Yeah. yeah. My next one is by B. Bing, a four-time returner. Oh. <laughs> Do you need to groan like that? I don't know what you're talking about. 
Uh, February 8, 20... <laughs> That's so loud. He says, Annie Hall is one of those films you can watch four or five times and pick up a bit of humor and or philosophy that you missed the first time. Both Woody and Diane fit so naturally in their parts you think they are peeking in on a home movie. This really is a timeless classic. Its humor has no temporal limits. Annie Hall can be made today with the same script and you wouldn't lose a scintilla of humor. Mm. Seven out of ten. I really feel that with uh, feel like you're peeking in on a home movie kind of deal. Like a pornography thing? Yeah, like no. a, what's her name? Pamela Anderson. Yeah, like a Pamela Anderson kind of deal. Yeah, are you just saying that because you watched Pam and Tommy Hulu series with Marina and I earlier today? And I also watched their sex tape. You did watch some of their sex tape today. <laughs> nice. He's pretty hung. No, <laughs> I wouldn't say that much. Um, he's very hung. You should... Okay, from the video I saw, he was like maybe average. What? Yeah. When they were on the kayak? When they were on the yacht. I've seen that one. It's it's like a nine-inch dick. I don't know. I think he doesn't like people talking about it, but I'm going to look it up anyways. <laughs> You're going to look up how if big was Tommy like Lee's dick. talking about it, why did he fucking record it? Well, it was stolen. That's what that whole Hulu thing was about. Okay, well, what? Was he going to watch him back? Yeah, sure. People get off to that shit. Oops, I, I'm on a live sex chat on accident. <laughs> yeah, he's he's hung. I don't know. You should see the visual representation in that in that Hulu series. Uh-huh. Because at one point, he's talking to his... It's really untasteful. He talks to his dick, and his dick, voiced by Jason Manzoukas, talks back to him. And it's just... And I'm fine with seeing dicks in film. I'm fine with What's it. What's his name? Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee. It was, it was, it, it's, he's hung, for sure. Ugh. <laughs> oh, fuck, why are you watching? Wait, let me see. I, because as, I think I might have seen the wrong one, because I saw a completely average. That is a completely average cock. What are you talking about? The average dick is less than, is like five and a quarter inches He's not long. hard yet. That <laughs> is five and a quarter inches soft. Let me see. Let oh, jeez. Jeez. Look at her sucking. <laughs> That thing is huge. That is a fucking average cock. The average cock is probably half the size of that. I guarantee. Girth and lengthwise. That thing is fucking... <laughs> oh, shit. Let me see. We need to turn off the pornography. Right, no, let you, he said, you oh, can, shit. I you can watch it later. I'm off it. <laughs> it was straight pennant. Yeah, I don't want it. <laughs> We're moving on from B. Coggin being. Fuck. <laughs> a whole movie. Yeah, what, what we said about that. But oh, yeah, quick porn break. I want to bring up that he rated this a seven out of ten, and that first one that didn't like it was a seven out of ten. Mm. The harshness of their scales. Yeah. So they're not on the John Lasagna scale. Next up is by Snoopy Style. Hey, that is Snoop Dogg. Time returner. Uh, like ten times. Ten time fresh, returner. fresh off his Super no. Bowl halftime. Probably appearance. like eight. eight Little Songbird returner. is ten. Um, on January eleventh, twenty fifteen, the surreal and touching reality elevates this movie this is one scene after another of compelling vignettes from a relationship the writing is amazing despite its rapid fire style it still feels connected and never loses touch with the audience it's like a series of memories but it flows like a narrative many of the jokes are still fresh as the first time i saw the movie it's more interesting and daring than most movies today nine out of ten yes that was poetry the vignettes, it's a series of memories, but flows like a narrative. Yeah. I love when he said vinaigrettes. That was my favorite. <laughs> What's your favorite vinaigrette? Uh, Mine's raspberry. Strawberry. Uh, we 
got a fucking balsamic. Balsamic. Mm. Okay. Balzac. Only two. Balzac. Oh wait. Yeah. Only. Boom. Yeah. Only two more. Wait. Yes. <laughs> Gavin six nine four two on four twenty seven twenty ten says. This film has a lot of strengths. Appearances from Jeff Goldblum, Marshall McLuhan. <laughs> that was a strength of the movie. <laughs> Christopher Walken, some cartoon work, some breaking of the fourth wall, interesting subtitles. Alan used every gimmick available to make this film unique, and it won him some Oscars. Personally, for me, I don't know. I like many of the jokes, but the material just doesn't touch me. I found the humor in Love and Death a lot more witty. <laughs> Relationships are more complicated, and Alan sure does make light of many of the serious things that fail a relationship, but I don't know. Not my film. Despite this, I would still encourage you to see it. I think Love and Death or Sleeper are funnier, but Annie Hall has a seriousness to it that shows a more mature side of Woody Allen that was probably absent up to this point. 7 out of 10. Another 7 out of 10. A lot of 7 out of 10s. With varying, varying sentiments about it. Yeah. And my last one is by Rogue Hash, March 17, 2006. I realize that I'm taking on an icon here, but honestly, this is the most disgustingly boring and overrated film to come out of the 70s. It is unfortunate that the rather pathetic Woody Allen, an admittedly intelligent man who, alas, squanders his considerable talents, firmly believes that the cosmos revolves around his legendary neuroses. Even more unfortunate is the fact that he has succeeded in persuading a large percentage of the Western world to agree with him in this film. Frankly, it does not speak well of our culture. Fear not. Shakespeare. Wait. Fear not. Shakespeare. Woody serves as no threat to you as the master of the English language. It is indeed sad that so many people seem to praise this mindless, uninspiring, unoriginal, and not even particularly amusing pearl of wisdom as thought it had virtually descended from the gods on Mount Olympus. Annie Hall isn't the absolute worst movie I've ever seen, but it really doesn't have much to recommend it. I normally adore romances, but neither one of these two selfish neurotics captured my sympathy or even remote interest. Furthermore, the supposed witty banter between the pair failed woefully to either entertain nor amuse me. Back in 1977, when I saw this movie at the theater with my husband, then boyfriend, we both sincerely wished we'd found some paint and watched it dry instead. One mm. out of ten. Um, she, how much needs to, to get laid by that husband? Yeah, I was gonna say that. And how much do you want to bet that she brought out her thesaurus for that? Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Classic yeah. thesaurus review, like we yeah. usually have. Yeah. Um. Also. She was talking a lot about how this whole movie was about him being a self-idealizing prick. Wasn't the whole movie about how he was a self-idealizing prick and how that... Failed him. Yeah, and that how that destroyed all his relationships. It's the tragedy, yeah. It's not a celebration of it by any means. Which a tragedy of that sort compares to Shakespeare, which she slandered him in comparison to. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's sh- it's fucking Shakespeare. He's he's Shakespeare it's, for a reason. Billy but- Shakes, yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, Woody Allen is probably one of the most formative writers of our time. Especially for cinema, yeah. Yeah. So, that is the end of our reviews. It's recommendation time. Devin. I think we all should just say what we think on the count of three. One, two, three. Yes. yes. Of course. This is this is a classic. This is a good movie. There's no reason not to watch it. There, There is some hesitancy if you aren't a Woody Allen fan. Breaking the fourth wall, some of that mantra of it, you might not enjoy it. But I think it is a film worth watching regardless. Only an hour and a half as well. True. 
True. So, you don't have to sit through in squall three hours. <laughs> yeah. No, this film was like as long as just the action sequences from Transformers Four. Exactly. This this film was only six times as long as the plane scene from the cat from outer space. <laughs> That's yet, true. This is still our longest podcast. Our longest podcast. But I, it's fine because, you know, mic issues and we're talking about an Oscar winner here. This is our first Oscar winner. Our first, like, sort of also, objectively. Maybe the first time that our podcast is longer than that movie. Not true. No? But there there have been few. Few. Power Rangers, I think, was longer. Power than Rangers was long. Yeah. But no, and I, I like the style this week too. Of we can sort of take a different look at a movie and praise it and not just shit on it the whole time, even though yeah. we love to shit. <laughs> I do love, Me and my movie. irritable bowel syndrome love to shit. It might open. <laughs> it might open up further avenues down the line for other beloved movies. Yeah. Oh, you have something in mind? I got a, a, a lot in mind. <laughs> yeah. Not Green Mile. <laughs> we have something on Doc already. What? We'll tell you later. We gotta keep that something Woody Allen would be interested in. But yes, very true. But with that, we're gonna end Annie Hall and the the month of the Love Lads two four ten. Aww, um, that's February. We hope you guys enjoyed our rom coms. Sorry if you were a fan of Fifty First Dates or Good Luck Chuck, and we missed out on it. We had to convince Devin here. And were you convinced in the end? Even though this isn't no, I, I wasn't. I was convinced, but not because of this podcast. I watched Marry Me. And- Fuck you! <laughs> Why marry me with J Lo and Owen Wilson? It was fucking cute. Watch it before you fucking knock it. I mean, I will probably enjoy it, but I don't think that would be the movie that turns me on to rom com. I thought it was cute. Um, so that is the end. We're gonna move into March. Um. With I believe I think we have something on deck for next week. We're moving a couple things around, but I think we are going to do the remake from I think 2017 of Point Break. Mm. Not your not your old timey 90 Patrick Swayze version. Not your average hero. Was it Keanu Reeves in it? Was mm-hmm. it Keanu Reeves? Yeah, we're doing the remake of it, so that'll be interesting. Um, we're gonna keep continuing to try this two mic thing, or maybe get a mixer so that. You know, our production quality is going up and up from here. And and with that, we will see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Skadoosh. Gadoosh. Gadoosh. Boom. Thank you for listening to The Good, The Bad, and The Movies. If you like the show, please like and follow us on Anchor and any other podcast sites we are located on. We would love to hear your feedback. So please leave us comments and reviews on our Instagram and Facebook pages at The Good, The Bad, The Movies. We will be back next week to deep dive into more movies. And remember, if it's it's good good and and it's bad, it's it's probably the movies. movies.